Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League. Powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. Okay, if you had to sign up to be a fan of only one of these two teams for the rest of your life, and you're fully invested, I'm not talking casually, watching every game, highs and lows, would you rather be a Leafs fan for the rest of your life or a Jays fan? Am I taking out which sport I like better? Are you asking me which one's just harder to be a fan of? I'm basically asking you to pick which one you think you'll be hurt less supporting. Oh, it's way easier to be a Jays fan. Although right now, for anyone who's listening and has just gone through those four games against the Texas Rangers where we got in a series where we went up 2.5 games where if we swept that series, we would have basically clinched, not only got swept at home, got blown out in all four games at home and booed twice. Did they even get... Maybe they got one home run. I think David Schneider hit, what, a home run in the first game or something? We led for one inning of the entire series, I'm pretty sure, and that was the last game in the bottom of the first after being down one to nothing. That's... uh, I don't know how you just don't show up. Like, you win one game, and you're still... Ask Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. They know how you don't show up. No, I know. I know. (laughs) Toronto sports fans have it great. I just... I don't know. I don't get it. Even like even last year, like this is a full year of them choking. Like that eight one game, right? That was last year. That was arguably the biggest choked single game choke job in Toronto sports history. That's probably worse than f- the three one four one. The four four one with ten minutes left. Yeah, this we were up by like ten runs. The only difference in this in that game against Seattle was that that wasn't a do or die game for Seattle. It was a do or die game for us. So it wasn't like oh, if we won swept. that game, we were going through. Um, you we know, got swept. Yeah, we oh. got we got swept. We were up ten nothing, I think, after the first four innings, and then it it got really bad. But the fact that you're asking me this question means that Toronto sports fans have gone through a lot of trauma related to sports. It is definitely harder to be a Leafs fan. The Toronto Maple Leafs have been good for a very long time. On paper, anyone will agree we're a top five team in the league. Uh, we just have zero win. Actually, I'm so used to saying zero playoff wins. We have one measly playoff win to show for it. Yeah. Does that even count, though? Because we didn't proceed to win another game on that playoff it run. It counts. It counts. But I'm going to do... I think it's going to go down in my Segway Hall of Fame. Okay? At least when Leafs fans lose an important game, they don't they don't riot and dance. Okay, that's... <laughs> <laughs> like Whoa. <some> fans <laughs> that's good. In Vancouver, <laughs> where uh, Quinn Hughes just got <laughs> named... Captain Whoa. of the Canucks. I think that's an all-timer. <laughs> is that is that like a soft spot for people I think, from Vancouver? <laughs> I think Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes. I think. Oh my gosh, Quinn. Quinn Hughes just cut the biggest stray of all time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's tough. Maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm that, that was like my one. When you said my biggest segue of all time, I'm like, does he mean like? A scooter. I was so confused. <laughs> and then you're talking transition. And then maybe. as soon as you said, at least when we don't lose, I was like, oh my gosh, don't say it. Don't say anyway, it. Anyway, let's get back on track after that one. Um, yeah, Quinn Hughes was randomly <laughs> named captain of the Canucks earlier this week. Um, I was a bit surprised by this, to be honest. Like, he doesn't scream captain, but people have different leadership styles. But what do you think about it? Okay, hold on. Why doesn't he scream captain to you? Um, it's not even just that 
um like he's a quiet guy like i think quiet leaders are often some of the most effective like john tavares is a very quiet leader you'll find alex barkov i would say sasha barkov i don't know how he's referred to um he's a quiet leader and like quiet leaders are often very effective it's just he just strike kind of strikes me as somebody who likes to stay out of the limelight and just do his job and just be good at hockey and put up points for the canucks which he's really good at he just doesn't strike me as someone who's going to be the face of a franchise. And, and that's harsh because I don't know him. I'm not in the room. I'm not in that market even. But I don't know. I just Because of the other options maybe they had in that dressing room, really only one other option, I thought they would opt for him. Me too. But I'm And I don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure in one of his interviews at one point, I think he alluded to, to the fact that he didn't want to be a captain. He, yeah, that was, okay. that was last year. Pedersen, with, okay. that's who we're alluding to, was like, you know, it's something that I have to think about. Um I've never been a captain before. I'm not a rah-rah guy, which Quinn Hughes isn't either, yeah. fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think it's just weird weird timing considering Pedersen's contract situation. But let's let's focus on Hughes first, I think, for before we get to like the Pedersen angle of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I have mixed thoughts about this choice okay. as well. Like On one hand, he is a great player, a bona fide number yeah. one defenseman. And unless you're Adam Lowry, which we'll talk about pretty soon, um, you need to be good now to be a captain. Like mm-hmm. the days of the Dustin Brown type captains are kind of past yeah. NHL teams. And I agree with it as well. Like you, in order to lead by example, in my opinion, you need to be on the ice for more than 15 minutes. And it's tough when you have a guy who, when he gets signed as the captain, presumably he's at the peak of his career. And if he's a third liner at that time, like Dustin Brown was... Yeah. Five years later in his career, it's not improbable that he's struggling to stay in the lineup. And I think it's easier to lose a room when you're not one of the best hockey players in the league when everything hits in the fan, um, or at least the best on your team. So I like it from that standpoint. Um, Quinn Hughes' stats, like we said, 215 points in 283 games. Wow. I think the craziest stat, and we talk about how plus minus isn't a, always a great stat, but he's only a combined minus nine last year on first line minutes on a historically bad defensive Canucks team playing against first lines and he was only minus nine like like the guy does his job Mm -hmm. very very well he was playing with Susie or Tyler Myers who's the last guy on that right side Philip Pronick maybe I don't think they they got Philip Pronick late I think they got Susie this offseason like they they were yeah they were kind of bad um I think he might have been playing with Myers at one point maybe with Ekman Larson at one point Ethan Bear maybe I don't don't know it's been similar to when Riley was on the Leafs and he was playing like Matt Hunwick, Ron Hainsey, you name it. Like all these random kind of mid guys. I think Quinn Hughes has experienced kind of the same thing. He hasn't had a good partner. Yeah. And he's still very good. Yeah. So from that perspective, he is more than good enough at his position to be a captain in the NHL. But on the other hand, like you said, he's quiet. But that's not a detriment to being a captain if your play style is somewhat big. Like Johnny Tavares, when he was named captain, was getting in those gritty areas. He still is today. He's one of those guys who can make a play off the puck where if you're not putting the puck in the net, like he makes a big hit, he, he grinds in the corner, he does something to rally his team. Right? It doesn't look at Quinn Hughes isn't that type of player. And that's what kind of worries me too. Whereas if he stays off the score sheet five or six games in a row, is he able to, does his mm. play style suited in the way that he can still ignite a flame in his team when they've lost five in a row yeah. if he can't put the puck in the net it's a good point like what do you think about that i never actually really considered it from that from that standpoint but yeah like i guess when you're a captain you have to find a way to, to get guys on board and yeah. if you know if you're not doing that on the ice by putting up points you have to find other ways maybe this is you know an excuse for him to find another component to his game i don't think he's ever going to be the guy that 
lay somebody out open ice or like elbow somebody in the head like a Darcy Tucker or something like like that way of motivating. But maybe he lays it. Maybe he blocks a shot. Maybe he, you know, gets in someone's face when he normally wouldn't have. And that could be good for him and and the team. So maybe this will like motivate him to find that next level of his game. But I I thought the timing in and of itself was weird. Not even because of the Pedersen thing. Like this franchise has been through so many changes. They got rid of you know Jim Benning and all those guys. They brought in Rutherford. They brought in Patrick Alvin. Then they fired Bruce Boucher. They brought in Tockett. Then they got rid of their captain Bo Horvat. Like now it seems like they have a little bit of stability. And instead of giving Alvin and Jim Rutherford, and especially Rick Tockett, the chance to see this team without a captain and to see if a leader presents themselves and steps up and give yourself a few months of the season to see how things play out. I just thought it was not necessary for them to name a captain this quick. Like, teams play with three A's all the time now. It's That's not abnormal. I would say probably 25 to 30% of the league doesn't have a captain at any one time. So what's the big deal if you go through half a season? And then if halfway through the season, by like Christmas or something, Quinn Hughes clearly presents himself as a leader in this locker room then then you can with confidence and with evidence say yeah this is our captain but i feel like they just kind of named him captain because he was the one guy that was committed to that franchise and the other guy isn't yet yeah um if to your point i agree with that it hasn't looked like naturally where you go this guy is captain type leadership material if there was one guy on that team who i thought you know is more outspoken more rallies players who do you think it would be on that team I mean, nobody really likes him as much. He's, he's more of a polarizing figure, but if yeah. you're talking about JT Miller, that's who came to mind I for think me. most people who watch the Canucks would think if there's one guy on that team who's loud enough and able to ignite a flame, it's it's JT Miller. And the only reason for not naming him captain is because he wouldn't be here long-term, but he clearly yeah. is now. He's got seven more years on his deal. I just think, like you, what you said, some of the things he says is controversial, and I yeah. think that Patrick Alvin might be worried that he's going to want out in three years or something, and then you have well, to your captain's on the on the trading even, block. It's even like putting an extra spotlight on a guy that was already under the microscope all the time in yeah. that market. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not immune to criticism. People love to criticize him because he is a flawed player. You know, he's high energy. He'll snap. He'll slam his stick on the back of the net, telling the goalie to leave. Remember that happened last year when yeah. they were uh, there was a delayed penalty. Like he'll have tension with the captain Bo Horvat they didn't like each other that was well on the record mm-hmm. so I think just adding throwing the C on his chest and putting him having having him speak after every game and putting that extra light on him I think they probably made the right decision not naming him the captain but you're right from like a stereotypical what do we think a captain is like on paper without considering some of the external factors like he's probably the guy that you look at yeah I, I agree I, I don't think he should be named captain yeah. for the reasons that you said and I think what Quinn Hughes will bring is after games you'll he'll have that even keel type yeah. approach to the point where it might be a detriment because he might just be so what's the word I'm looking Autopilot for kind yeah, of thing. yeah just it, it might get to the point where he's answering questions like Connor Bedard has answered questions so far yeah. have you heard on an off note people are like apparently media thinks that talking to Connor Bedard is like difficult and annoying because he's so media trained they yeah. can't get anything out of him um, I think what you want in the captain is a guy who's a great player, which he is. He needs to be emotional, but at the same time mature. Um, JT Miller lacks maturity and is emotional. I think Quinn Hughes yeah. is Quinn Hughes is lacks emotion but is mature. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to err on one side, you err on the side of Quinn yeah, Hughes. I agree. Um, it's a good uh, summary. Like you said, the other big issue is that there is a player on that Canucks team who has shown that he has blossomed into a pre-superstar. And what I mean by that is a guy who has put up a superstar-like season, like Matthew Kachuk, 
last year where we were both yeah. sitting here asking, is Matthew Kachuk a superstar? And we were saying he needs to do this again. He did it again. He's a superstar now. Elias Patterson yeah. put up a campaign where you think he is a fringe top five center in the league. And if he does it again, he's now a superstar. And by this time next year, if he is another 100-point player, you go, he's a superstar. Why is he not the captain? Mm-hmm. Do you think this hurts his ability to stay next year because he's an RFA next year? I don't think it hurts his ability to stay. Um, I think he's already, by not signing, maybe said that he wants to play this season out and see if the Canucks are an organization he wants to dedicate his prime to. I think that's a fair assessment considering, you know, quite frankly, the mess that the Canucks have been. I think they're trying their best to steady the ship now. They've, um, you know, hired Tockett, and hopefully they're going to not have to fire him at the end of the year like they have with some past coaches. Um I don't know if it hurts his his chances because I'm I'm operating under the assumption that they had a conversation with all of the leadership core, whoever they consider that to be, like Pedersen, Horvat, Miller, Demko. I think we're all at the press conference. I'm hoping that they had a discussion and we're like, you know, we all we're gonna go with Quinn Hughes. Kind of got the the okay from all of them and then proceeded. But I wonder if this was a little bit of a jab at him too. Do you think? Yeah, like yes, but also. Like, this team already has a problem keeping superstar players. JT Miller wanted out. He was public about wanting out. And the only reason they kept him is because they offered him a deal he physically couldn't refuse, Mm -hmm. right? And I wonder if... I'm Like, I'm not saying Pedersen doesn't want to play here, but does this sprinkle more doubt? Like, it might. Would giving him the C basically force him to stay? (laughs) Basically force him to take less money to stay? Or does not giving him the C kind of give us allow us to peek behind the curtains into this organization and let us know that they know something that we don't mm. and PD doesn't want to play here. I, I don't know the answer to that yeah. question. Um, I don't think giving him the C would have changed his approach to a contract next year. Cause at the end of the day, players are in it for themselves more so than they are for a team, which is fine. This is their job. This is their yeah. profession. But I think it does tell us that I think they went to him first and said, are you going to be here for a while? If you are, you're the C and he didn't commit to an answer. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think yeah, he might have just not wanted to be captain, like plain and simple. That is also true. Um and yeah, that's but I'm saying like for that for, for it could have been like because I don't want to be captain, period, or because I'm not sure if I want to be around, so I don't want to get stuck yeah, in a way. I, I don't know. I think it ends up being the second one because he did the reason why I brought up those comments about did he say he didn't want to be a captain early on in his career, um, is because I think now he's matured more so as a player where who doesn't want to be the captain of a big organization, right? I think if he was presented with the C and he knew he was going to stay here for his career, he would have said yes. The yeah. fact that he doesn't is either telling me he wants to test the open market or he doesn't like playing here anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to, it's hard to say that that couldn't have been the case. Like, it's very plausible. Um, I mean, I just, I feel like at the end of the day, they're going to come come to some sort of agreement. Like, he, he's an RFA, this love leverage, and you just can't let a guy like this walk. Like, yeah. imagine he leaves, even if they have to trade, and, like, the team trading for him is going to have a pretty decent amount of leverage. Like, I just don't, I don't know how you can let him walk. Um, and if you do, like, that's going to be on Alvin's, like, record or cv for like canucks fans for for the rest of his tenure there however long it may be yeah and i agree he I, he is going to stay like the only person the only player who has ever left after that rfa deal that i can remember is matthew kachuk that's the only one like usually when it gets to be a little bit messy the way that it works is that the player will sign a very short-term bridge deal and i think that's what happened for pd and me bringing this up isn't me saying he's leaving it's me saying that i think canucks fans can expect 
a little bit of a bumpy road next year when trying to sign this mm-hmm. contract. Um, and I think it's going to end up being like an eight and a half by three or something, which another you know, three year deal. That's what he just signed. Yeah, because I, I, I he's going to stay because he's an RFA, and I, I don't think he's going to want to be here long term, or else he would have accepted the C. Hmm. I could be, you know, over, over analyzing the situation, but in my mind, a young player who loves playing in an organization, likes the culture of the team, is presented with an opportunity to get an eight by nine in the C. Why are you not jumping on that? Yeah, um, maybe he thinks he's worth more. Maybe he thinks he's worth more, but maybe he thinks that this organization is in mediocrity for a Which, very long time. I mean, can fault him for thinking that. And I think it's been very much implied by a lot of his comments that not only he, but a lot of people, including the fans of the Vancouver Canucks, feel that way. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Who do you think should be more scared, Canucks fans of Petey leaving or Bucks fans of Giannis leaving? I mean, different different stratosphere of player, but like... If we take away the fact that the Bucks are a huge market, um, I would I would say Petey just because they already got a championship out of Giannis, and if True. he if he leaves, you know, I think he leaves on a non John Tavares note, on a on a more happy note. True. And if Petey leaves, they didn't get enough out of him, especially that they're gonna. They're going to lose him when he's just turned into a superstar, and that's got to suck. That hurts. Yeah, true. That's actually a very good point. Okay, before we move on, um, Quinn Hughes was the sort of start of this conversation, so how will we wrap up with a little Quinn Hughes would you rather? Oh, okay. Okay. I've got all sort of offensive defensemen here. None of the you know top five, none of the Kale McCars, Adam Poxes. These are people who I would consider to be just a tier below them, which is where Quinn Hughes is, I think, too. Yep. So let's start it off. My Quinn Hughes or Josh Morrissey? Just for next year or for the remainder of their career? Let's say remainder of their career. Actually, it doesn't even matter. I'm taking Quinn Hughes for both of them. Josh Morrissey had a career year last year that isn't, you know, hasn't shown that he's been able to do that. Quinn Hughes has steadily been a 75-point player. Okay. You want Quinn Hughes or Brandon Montour? Uh, For the same reason, give me Quinn Hughes. Montour had a monster season last year, but people forget that Quinn Hughes is steady putting up 68 to 75 points, and I think I can guarantee that he does that next year. So give me him. Quinn Hughes or Dougie Hamilton? Oh, Dougie Hamilton. That one's not close. Okay. I think I think Dougie Hamilton is the most underrated defenseman in the NHL. I, okay. I genuinely think that he's a big body. He puts the puck in the back of the, the net, can anchor a first-line power play, does all the things Quinn Hughes can, but is way more physical. And I think his deal is pretty good. It's at $9 million. I think he's worth every penny. All right. Quinn Hughes or a guy that just got paid big time as well, Vince Dunn. Vince Dunn is a sneaky good player. Yeah. I loved him when he was on St. Louis as well. Just he broke out last year. I don't know if he'll do it again. I think he will do it again. I think you know what Quinn Hughes provides you. I think 70 points is the floor of Quinn Hughes. I think he can be an 80-point player, so give me Quinn Hughes. Okay. Quinn Hughes or Hampus Lindholm who had a bit of a resurgence last year with the Bruins. That's tough. That's tough. Just because he wears the Bruin, I'm going to take. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to take Quinn Hughes, Can't but no, on, on an unbiased note, Quinn Hughes' skating ability is unmatched. Hampus Lindholm, you know, I think some of his stats were skewed by the fact that he wasn't playing first-line minutes because McAvoy was getting those harder pairs, whereas Quinn Hughes is facing the toughest opponents every night for 30 minutes. He's still putting up those points. Quinn Hughes is a bona fide first-pairing defenseman. Give me Quinn Hughes. Okay. And then last guy, Quinn Hughes or Mikhail Sergachev? That one is tough because Mikhail Sergachev last year showed that he can anchor a first-line power play well. He's a big body. He's got a hard shot. I am going to very marginally take Sergachev on okay. that one. Yeah, I, I can't really blame you with yeah. that one. And he has a little more to his game, I guess, in terms of off-the-puck kind of things that add to his game. He's a bit of a prick, honestly, which is a good thing. 
Um, he said those things about Toronto as well earlier in the oh year. Oh my god, he's such, yeah, he's kind of a baby for that. On a side note, he's like even in like the media, whatever they're doing now in Vegas or whatever. He's like, yeah, we don't, we're gonna come back with a vengeance. We don't want to be the team that let Toronto beat them. Like yeah. you act like Toronto's an AHL team. Yeah. Like they're a good team. Like re- re- relax, you guys lost one time. You made back to back Cup finals and won twice. Like relax, you can no, lose literally. one round. He's I mean, kind of being a baby for that, but. If I was a, but if I was like a Tampa fan, I'd probably like those comments. Yeah. But whatever. You know what's even funnier? Yeah. Very quickly is that um, after Quinn Hughes comes out and says that he wants to be, so not that he wants to be, he was named the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Another um, defenseman in the West came out and says he wants to be the next captain of his team. Do you know who came out and said no, that? Who said that? Seth Jones says he wants to be the next oh, captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. That's funny. Let's just talk about this very briefly. He put up 37 points last year and was a combined minus 38. And I know plus minus is a very tough stat to fall, especially when you're on the worst team that I've seen in a very long time. But minus 38 is minus 38. When it's that bad. I think he very widely and in a consensus fashion is on everybody's worst contract list of all time. Yeah. Um, He's up there. And the audacity to come out and with those stats – after your team just drafted <laughs> a McDavid slash Sidney Crosby generational type player and say you want to be the next yeah, captain. that's funny. I think it's laughable because the Chicago Blackhawks will not have another C until 97 is wearing it. Can we agree on that? Oh, he's getting a captain in like two to th- in like a, well, one to three years. It'll be on his chest. Like you think Seth it's that, that quickly? I, mean, I think Crosby was named captain in his second year. I think McDavid was named in the second or third. Like it could be that soon. Yeah. Depends how good he is. Really. I guess I didn't think of that. When you're that good, you yeah. get you get named. It. I think Landis Cog was like when he was he's not even. And Landis Cog was never on that level, but he was like 19 years old when he got the C put on his chest. Like people are putting people are giving captains out really really early. Um, what I, you know, what I was thinking about when you like said Seth Jones, you know that meme where it's like the the soldiers and then the clown like in the middle of of the line. Like <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking that like all these other like bonafide number one defenseman <laughs> who get paid nine million it's like dougie hamilton charlie mcavoy seth jones the clown and then kill mccarr behind him it's like, like th- those comments where it's like you threw in seth jones like we wouldn't yeah, notice yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what i was thinking of because that's what he gets paid and he's just not that the fall off of seth jones needs to be studied because in that series against the leafs him and warinski yeah. were very good was he that yeah. bad defensively in that series or was i too young to i remember? don't know i think like i always thought he was unbelievable too but i think like even the minute that deal was signed People who are more analytically oriented were like, no, this guy's actually not that good. He's just right-handed, skates well, and is big, and people get a little too fired up about that. So I think they were seeing some things that maybe other people weren't or that other people were overlooking. But, yeah, that deal was bad like, almost instantly. Like, that, he stayed around in Columbus for a little bit, and it even sucked then. Like, he, he was just bad all around, and then when... Chicago tried to like grasp at straws and trade for him without any retention. That's just, just poor business. It's just not happening. No, it's, it's not good. It's, it's not happening. Um, but big contracts for young defensemen. That one didn't work out. And I think the Senators are hoping that the one that they just signed um, Sanderson to is going to work out. Jake Sanderson just signed another little 8 by 8 contract, one of the ones that the Sens love to give out. Um, and they take another gamble on a really good young player. What do you think? Not only young, he was a rookie last year. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, he's seventy-seven games played. I'm so. pretty sure he was a rookie. I have never seen a guy get a contract that big after a rookie year. But I think it was like one of those weird ones because 
he might have burned the first year. Okay. Like when he was like he might have played the end of the of two seasons ago and then all of this season or something like that because it kicks in not this season come but the one after so he's on the last year of his entry level deal right now. Yeah, may- maybe. But seventy seven games like less than a full season of pro experience. Yeah, I'm. He had last year four goals, twenty eight assists, and seventy seven games as a rookie. Like you said, I mean Bad. he is very very good in transition. Like his entries, exits. Exit possession rates, exit success rates, blah, blah, blah. Any play driving transition stat, he is in the mid 80th to low 90th percentile. As a rookie, one of the things you look for in a defenseman is their ability to get the puck out of the zone. And you would prefer that they carry it out of the zone with speed in transition. And he does that very well. Like That's one of the markers of a defenseman as a rookie having the capability to grow later on in your career. Um, so... They must have seen something in him. They must have seen at least that. They've definitely seen more than that. And what on face value, you know, a lot of the people said this was an overpayment and and over this and over that. And admittedly, when I saw the deal go through, I was like, wow, that much money for Jake Sanderson. Yeah. I remember sending it to you. I remember sending it to a few other buddies and their first comments were, wow, that's a lot of money. But we have to not forget about the fact that the Ottawa Senators are successful at this, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't know. You probably thought about this too, but you know, at the time that Stutzla signed that eight by eight, yes. right. He had 29, he had a 29 point season and then a 58 point season. He got 8 million for eight years off a 58 point season. And everyone, including us sitting here, were saying that is one of the worst overpays we have ever seen. Then proceeds to put up 90 points in one less game <laughs> last year. And I'm pretty sure his projections for next year are over a hundred. So maybe yeah, maybe we trust the senators at doing this because yeah. they also did it with Brady Kachuk as well and that worked. Yeah. So I trust the Sens now, which is not something I would have ever imagined myself saying like five years ago. But I trust Pierre Dorian. I think let and it's I think inevitable that they're gonna let him go once the new owner takes over. I think that'll be a bit, a bit of a mistake, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um but yeah, I I they're really good at taking these gambles. Like they know that in a year if he's worth eight by eight to them now in a year, he's probably going to be worth nine million. I think that they'd be. Right? But it, do you think he's worth eight by eight to them now, or they know that they're overpaying for him next year and they think yeah. that it's going to come out to positive value over the last? I, th- five. I think that. But okay. if they're willing to give him eight by eight now, like yeah. after next season, if he presumably plays better, they'd be would have to be willing to give him more. Yeah. Right. And, and they have enough cap space to yeah. make this gamble. It's not also a huge gamble, so. Yeah. And it doesn't even kick until. 24 25 so let's just say he gets over 40 points next year and he looks value for money almost immediately like the rest the almost the entirety of that contract is probably going to be a bargain mm-hmm. right I, I just think it's a good deal like and signing young players to long-term deals like when jack hughes was signing 8.8 that was in like the middle slash beginning of covid when we didn't know any certainties about cap going up the cap's gonna go up four to five, e- four to five million for the next X number of years. Like in, in three years, like eight million is not gonna really be that big of a, you know, big of a cap hit, especially for a guy who has the potential to be a number one defenseman. Yeah. Like people in Ottawa, I've listened when I was listening to the radio, people were talking about this contract. Some people were saying like this guy might already be their best all around defenseman, better than Shabbat, better than Chikrin in like the all around game, skating ability, every you take everything together. He's Maybe they're saying he might even already kind of be as good, if not better than them, and has obviously the potential to be significantly better than them. So, I mean, a million for a number one defenseman is a bargain these days, and moving forward, it'll be a massive bargain. Yeah, I think so too. And when people look at his stats last year, and admittedly, I looked at them too and was a little concerned, 
Again, four goals, 28 assists, and 30, 32 points then in 77 games. I'd looked at it. Over the last 20 years, the most points for a rookie defenseman have been Hughes at 53, mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes, um, Moritz Sider at 50, Kale McCart at 50, and honestly, only 25-ish D in the last 20 in the last 20 years have put up over 30 points in their rookie yeah. season, which you know you might think, well, 25 D is a lot, but over – that's like one defenseman, one premier new defenseman a season that's doing that. Mm-hmm. So if you're the, the organization that's able to get that guy last year at an 8x8, eight eight, and all of the guys on this list that I just named, Hughes, Sider, McCarr, all blossomed into nine, eight, at least 8 to $9.5 million players, yep. getting them at 8x8 eight eight is, is a bargain, right? And yep. if Sanderson takes a huge jump next year and he starts putting up 60, 65 points, you know, a 65-point defenseman is worth $8 million now. Yeah. The only concern is, is he going to be in a position where he can do that? Because there's Shabbat, there's Chicker in there. Is he going to get any power play time? I think I looked last year, they had Shabbat on power play one, and then they pulled like the Florida Panthers on power play two with Chicker and Sanderson. Mm, okay. That power play, this power play two now, especially with like Debrinket gone, they're not going 50-50 anymore. It's probably going to be, you know, like normal power plays where the number one unit stays out for a minute and a half. Yeah. How many points is he going to get on a power play? And is it even possible for a defenseman that doesn't get power play time to put up yeah. 65 points? I wouldn't even... I think if he puts up you know, that number of points, that's obviously incredible. But I th- even remember when he was drafted, the scouting report on him wasn't like, this guy's some crazy offensive defenseman. He's more of like a really... He's going to be really good two-way. Like He's oh. going to be shut down and he's going to probably chip in with points. But I don't think that's his profile. But even getting 30 points is really impressive, like you just said. Yeah. If he finds himself even touching 50, like that's and, and he plays good defense, like that's that's like an extremely valuable defenseman. Especially when you have offensive defensemen in that system exactly. already, right? Chikrin and Shabbat are both really talented offensively. Yeah. So he doesn't have to be per se. Yeah, and when you look at their core overall, like now now you think you have um Brady Kachuk, eight point two million for another five years, Timmy Stu. 8.3 million for another seven years. Shabbat, 8 million for another five. Chikorin, 4.6 for another two. Wow. And now Sanderson at 8 million for a number for another eight, right? These are all guys who you go, these guys have the potential to become superstars and are bought oh, on yeah. bargain deals now and can, you know, can become those guys. And if all of these deals pan out, then yeah, this is going to be a dynasty team. The issue is, is none of them have shown that they are a superstar yet. And the only one out of that list that has shown they have the potential and a, a high enough probability to become a superstar is Timmy Stutzler, right? Yeah. Like if Stutzler puts up a hundred points next year, which I think 95 points is the threshold to becoming like, you know, you're a superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's able to do that, you know, if Timmy Stutzler is a superstar and you have another, I don't want to say elite, but very good player in Brady Kachuk yeah. and then three very good defensemen, that's probably good enough to win a cup. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I I don't know. Like, do you think if Timmy Stutzla stays at an eighty to eighty-five point player, Brady Kachuk is career high. I think is 65, 70 points. Chabot, Shikarin, Sanderson, or all those guys that are, I think are maybe a tier in the same tier as Quinn Hughes, maybe a half a tier below. Yeah. Can you win a Stanley Cup without a superstar and with just a bunch of very good players? The only team that comes to mind is the Blues. Yeah. And then they went on a miracle run. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think it's very tough to win without a superstar. But I think if you get the best version of Stutzler, the best version of Kachuk, the best versions of Norris and Batherson, and then you have those three defensemen like anchoring all three of your defensive pairings, 
Like that's a really, really good team. I think they just need to pray that Corpusalo and his bionic joints don't break down on <laughs> it, on them. Like Crazy I think that's what straight. it comes down to for them. Yeah. It's a second straight of the episode. <laughs> I, I agree. Like all these guys, like I said, are very good, but none of them are elite top twenty players. Like is Timothy Stutzla, if he doesn't get better, is he a top twenty player right now? Right now he's I don't know if he's top twenty. He's not. But he's, if he gets you know, if he enters ninety five point to hundred point territory, then he probably enters that conversation. Oh, for sure. If Timothy Stutzla next year puts up a hundred, hundred and five points, he is a superstar. That's like a lot. he's there. It is a lot. That those are his projections. Yeah. Last year he had ninety. It is a lot. Um but like I said, all of these guys, none of these guys are elite top twenty players. We've heard forever Shabbat's gonna be this stud number one D, can't stay healthy. Puts up 40 to 55 points a year. Yeah. Kachuk gets lauded as this superstar, but has only ever had one point per game season. And again, like this, let me be clear. These are very good stats. These are very, very good hockey players. Bonafide first pairing, first line players. But the question is, is if none of these deals pan out to superstardom, can this core of just a bunch of very good players win a cup? And I think the answer to that question is no. And it's not because I dislike the Ottawa Senators, but it's, it's because I've never seen a team win a Stanley Cup without a top 15 player in the NHL. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think they're really hoping that Stutzla becomes that guy. I think I think Brady Kachuk's ceiling is 85 points. And when he brings you all that other yeah, intangibles to the game, you take that. If Stutzla gets you 100 and you never know, Shabbat turns into a 75-point player, this team's going to go on deep runs. Yeah, they have the potential for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not me sitting here saying... They shouldn't have taken bargains, not bargains, risks on all these players because that's that's how you get good value. Yeah, you have um, to. But they have a lot of contracts off of very good players now that have the potential to be good. And I guess worse comes to worse, this team is just going to be fighting for a wild card for a, a very long time until the Atlantic gets bad. And but I I don't know. I think Stutz is a superstar this year. Yeah, I th- I think I mean I know Sens fans and. Maybe even us, not, not not to the degree. Maybe that some other people have sort of believed in the sense, but I think this year especially, like this will be the one year I'll say if they don't make the playoffs, it's a disappointment. Like the l- last year and even the year previous, I was like, eh, we don't know what these guys are. Like they're still young, they're missing pieces. But I mean, Jake Sanderson has now come. He's a he's a top four level defenseman. They got Chicken. They they bought a goalie. They tried to buy a goalie. Stutzla is on the verge of you know he's a budding superstar. And all the other complimentary forwards are very good as well. Like if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think that would be the first time I've been like, yeah, they disappointed. They they fell short of expectations. At least the expectations that I would have placed on them, sort of as not a fan, because um, they have a team that's good enough of, of um, making the the playoffs in the East. As much as I love to talk about the Sabers, I think the Senators are a better team on paper than the Sabers. Are they good enough to make the playoffs in that division though? Like that's the issue I have is you know, if. Are they a division team in the Atlantic? Um, I think it really depends on what we get out of Florida. Okay, probability wise, is it above fifty percent? I, I think that they'll be. I think that they'll probably be fighting for a wild card spot just because we, you know, Boston and Florida are maybe slightly more guarantees, but yeah, like they they need to be in a wild card spot. Okay, so now the issue is, is I think the Metropolitan Division, in my opinion, is the best division in the league next year. I think it, for the first time, it's better than the Atlantic. Okay. We know the division teams in the uh, in the Metropolitan are for sure um, Carolina, New Jersey, and then we're going to go with the Rangers. Now you have the Pittsburgh Penguins, the New York Islanders. I- the New York Islanders. Um, I'm missing another p- team that is good yeah, enough there. Washington's usually decent. Yeah, there's a, there's another who maybe Columbus Flyers. 
No. And one more team. I'm missing one team. Regardless, the Pittsburgh Penguins are making the playoffs next year. They are fighting for a... This means that the um, the Ottawa Senators are fighting for that last wildcard spot against the Washington Capitals, against the one of the Florida Panthers and the Boston Bruins. Like, Are they better than all three of those teams? I don't know if they are on paper, but I think it's I think it's close. Like I think that they have a fighting chance for sure. So I, I agree, but so my question is is that if we're gonna argue here that it's close and not they are for sure better, is it fair to say that it's a disappointment if they don't make the playoffs? Yeah, because every team is good. Like you gotta we gotta make the playoffs. I guess that that's I think true. you have to just you have to set if you're like in the I think if you're in the Ottawa Senators dressing room, you can't be like, Oh, the Bruins are the Bruins and Panthers just went to the cup final and Sidney Crosby is going to be angry. Like we're not going to be able to make it like, no, you think you have to, you have to set that goal for yourself. I I do think regardless of if all those teams are still good, like you need to be expecting yourself to, to be a playoff team. That's true. And I would be, I don't know. Like when we do our Atlantic predictions and our entire league predictions next episode, like I'm going to have a tough time deciding where to put them, but I think they need to expect themselves to be a playoff team. We're just going to take a brief minute to shut out the sponsor of today's episode, SeatGeek. Looking to enjoy a night out with some friends watching a sports game, concert, comedy show, or music festival? Hit up SeatGeek, an app that helps you find tickets in the cheapest and simplest possible way. By visiting their site, you can see events happening near you, and within one click can instantly get access to tickets at the cheapest possible price. With SeatGeek's price grading system, you can instantly find out whether you're getting a bargain on the tickets you buy. At checkout, be sure to enter code UFRPOD to get $20 off your first purchase. Visit SeatGeek today and revolutionize the way you buy tickets. Well, I don't know how to segue over to this one. I don't don't have anything sneaky, but... We've kind of buried the lead a little bit because one of the biggest stories coming into this week and over the last few days has been whatever the heck Mike Babcock's got going on in Columbus. Like he gets there, the, probably the smallest market in the States, one of the smallest markets in the league, and he's already making noise causing problems and appears to be at risk of losing his job. Like for those, I guess, who may not be like too caught up to speed, um, basically Paul Bissonnette came on the Spin Chicklets podcast and was basically... Um, he said, I've heard from guys in the room or people connected that Babs is asking guys to take out their phones and then throw in their camera roll on his Apple TV so they can scroll on it together. And they're like, he's just looking to see, quote unquote, like the type of guys that they are, as if you can decipher that from how does a camera the Boys of co- Vegas trip. Like, yeah, like how does a camera roll correlate to your content of your character? I guess like if Babs is seeing Boone Jenner was, now, I don't want to say actually a name because that's probably irresponsible, but if he sees a player roll up and he's got Vegas pictures and he sees like bottle service. Maybe he, you know, might think, oh, that guy's not like dedicated or I don't think it's correct. Which is a poor assumption. Yeah. But I think that like if the reports from biz are correct, that seems to be what he was doing. Yep. Shortly thereafter, the Blue Jackets, Babs, Mugen are all make statements saying that was not our intention. I asked them to show me pictures of their family on their phone. I was showing them pictures of my family. It was more of just to build a rapport with the players, Boone Jenner and Johnny Gaudreau also said, yeah, that was the deal. Didn't really have a problem with it. We're just getting to know each other. And at that point, I kind of thought, okay, this is the end of it. Maybe, you know, Biz got some poor information and the guy talking to him maybe blew it out of proportion. I don't know. 
Um, but then NHLPA, NHL are launching investigations, and guys like Dreger are reporting now in the past, I don't know, 48 hours, we're recording this on Friday, that, like, yes, maybe the vets were okay with it, but some of the younger players were quite uncomfortable with what went down. Maybe Babs approached it differently with the vets and with the rookies. We know he has a tendency to do that from his time in Toronto. And if they find things that, you know, are a little shady, who knows what's going to happen with this guy. Yeah, and again, all of this is is I don't know what the word for is I guess it's hearsay we don't know what the yeah. true story is but it seems like and again conjecture um that you're right the veterans were based off of the comments made that the yeah. veterans have different reports of what happened than the rookies that's what that's what's been reported we're, we're just we're, we're just relaying what we've heard so now we will operate under the assumption that the differential treatment of the veterans and the rookies happened if sure. that did happen are you surprised no I mean like <laughs> What's the saying? Leopards don't change their spots or something like that. I'm getting greasy with my little phrases <laughs> here. But I mean, I, I'm I'm shocked in the sense that he had so much time off to you know, reflect and maybe think about different ways that he could you know adapt his coaching practices. But literally the first week he's back and he seems to be in hot water again. Like, how do you not learn that people are going to be, you know, whether it's fair or not, he has earned that reputation of having some suspect coaching practices. And so, yes, people are going to be waiting for you to mess up. Whether that's right or wrong is, I think, irrelevant here. People are going to be waiting because you have, you know, you, you've built yourself a reputation. Um, so whether he maybe feels like, oh, people are just, you know, coming after me because I'm Mike Babcock. Well, people are coming after you because you're Mike Babcock. Like you've, you've earned that reputation. Um, and I'm not shocked, I guess. Yeah, when you look at Mike Babcock's... Um past again assuming that this did happen which we don't which we don't know i'm not going to say that it did it's yeah i'm not i wouldn't be surprised either like there there are so many incidents that we can talk about the johan friends and one is the the worst one i think upsets my stomach and makes me like sick to even talk about because apparently you know according to chris chelios who was on the team at that time like there's quotes of him saying some of the things that babcock said to him and it got to the point where johan um, broke down, had nervous breakdowns. And I think Johan Franzen talked about where he struggled to get out of bed at times mm-hmm. and like just scared get to go to the rink. Yeah, yeah. Scared to go to the rink as well It's it doesn't matter how difficult, um, playing in the NHL is, or the expectations of an athlete at the end of the day, that's unacceptable R- yeah. regardless if, you know, you play in the NHL or you work at any job, right? Like that, that's not acceptable. You go to the Marner incident as well. I, everyone in Toronto knows 100%. that very well for anyone who doesn't know. Um, I think Mike Babcock thought that Mitch Marner could have worked harder on the ice when he was a when he was a rookie or a sophomore or something like that. So he asked him to create a list of players on the Leafs and asked to rank them based on their um, respective effort level for the yeah. particular season. Um, and then apparently Marner again conjecture Marner obliged when the coach like demanded it of him. It wasn't a can you do this? It's do it. And then that's already bad enough. But then yeah. Babcock took that list and. He apparently showed it to other players. Yeah, he showed it to the players that like Mitch had put high on the list. Thing was like, because like Kadrim Bozak might have been there. Like those are his buddies. Yeah, which is kind of that's brutal for like a young guy. You're just trying to, you know, you're making friendships with those guys in the locker room. You're trying to like build yourself a career, and then he's putting you in just garbage situations. It's a, that's a sewer job, like yeah. a pure sewer job. Yeah, and then we we can talk about a million more. We can talk about the Spezza one. I think the Medano yeah. one is the, the last one. one. Oh, that's We're crazy. Worthy about talking and. You know, I didn't know at the time if he was healthy scratched because um, the team was fighting for a playoff spot. 
but that just it, it wasn't the case at all. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, Mike Medano, he was in the final season of his Red Wings career. He had, I think, signed a one-year deal. His career period. Yeah. Yes, sorry, his career period. He signed a one-year deal to make a push with the Red Wings, um, and he was approaching his 1,500 game. He missed a large portion of that season battling. I believe it was a wrist injury. Um, when he came back, um, he was in and out of the lineup, healthy scratch for a lot of the last 20 or 30 or whatever it was games. Um, Mike Medano had 1,499 <laughs> games played. That's it was the last game of the season, and Babcock decided decided excuse me to scratch healthy scratch Mike Medano so that he wouldn't play his 1500th game. And, you know, that is bad enough as it is because even if this team was fighting for a playoff spot, they needed to win that game in order to get in. You think you play him, play him on your fourth line, give him a minute. It's not going to make that big of a deal. It gets really bad when you think about the fact that they had 104 points at that time. I think they were already clinched. Like they were for sure, for sure going to make the playoffs at 104 points. And he still scratched them. Like That's there was brutal. just that the games didn't matter anymore. And apparently the, um, the, the dressing room was extremely heated. Yeah. And they didn't know about it until the game was like halfway through. Like pe- they found out that Madonna was at 1499 sitting up there during the game. And it got... I can imagine that it got heated on the bench. I don't know if it did, but apparently people were very upset about it. And there were a couple guys on the team that said that if they knew about it, they would have spoken to Babcock and said, we got to get him in there. Yeah. I think it just goes back to like, just the, and this is like not abnormal for hockey coaches. Like their sort of way of motivating guys is to try and like piss them off. And so they are angry at the coach. And so they like play harder. It's like a team versus coach situation where like the team is supposed to bond over the shared hatred of the coach like i'm sure that works to some degree if you can do it effectively but when you're like sewering guys and asking for their phones and scratching you know uncharted territory milestone type of things like you're just you're kind of just a prick at that point like you're not even motivating or strategizing like you're just kind of being a a rat at that point yeah you're you're a bad leader yeah that that, that's what it is that's what i agree yeah, I, don't I know. mean, so if the only argument, and this isn't your argument, but like I yeah. agree, sometimes coaches, you know, try to upset, not upset players, but ignite a fire. I've yeah. been saying that a lot, but it's applicable here. What's funny is that if he was trying to do that to Medano, he, I think he scratched him for most of the playoff run anyway. So clearly yeah, like wasn't he that. Was, it, it's, yeah, it seemed abnormally personal, that one. It like got, why Mike Medano? Yeah, it's to the point where you realize that there aren't many motivations left past the one that we all are assuming happened. And again, we can't know what it is, but the game didn't matter. Like you, you at that point you're playing a AHL guys. Anyway, I think the Red Wings had made the playoffs a million years in the row yeah. up until that point. He had already won a cup. I'm pretty sure. And the game didn't matter. Mike Madonna was one of the best players of all time. Arguably the greatest American player yeah. of all time. Absolutely. 1500 games is a humongous That's milestone. Huge. Yeah, it did. I think we all know why he did it, but I don't want to yeah. assume, but no. there's not many reasons to deduce left. But, you know, if the results of this investigation are trending the way that they're invest- like they're trending, like I think the way it would work is the NHLPA would have these sort of findings that he did some pretty shady things. Yeah. I don't think they have the power to fire him. Like, do you think if this comes out, yes, 100% confirmed, he asked the rookies, the younger players, give me your phone, I'm going to pull that up on the Apple TV and we're going to scroll through together and you're going to tell me about your summer kind of thing when they didn't have like any 
you know, there was a power dynamic there. You're not going to say no to Mike Babcock, right? We, we can just say all of that did happen, confirmed. Like, do you have to cut bay with this guy before he even coaches a regular season game? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Right? He, he, if it comes out where he used that power dynamic in a way that, you know, um, hurt vulnerable young players, like, like it, it, it happened if that's the way that it happened, for sure he's fired on the spot. <laughs> First of all, he's lost the room. Second of yeah. all, from a... PR perspective, which is the last thing you should consider in this situation. But it's important. It looks terrible. And also that team is full of rookies. No one's they already have yeah. a bad enough ability to sign free agents. This wouldn't make it any better. Mike Babcock already has a pretty poor reputation of all the things we've just described. And also the most important thing is that if that comes out to be true, he is a not a great person and yeah. he probably not probably doesn't deserve that job and he he will get fired. Yeah. I can't believe we might blow this within Negative one weeks of like being the regular season <laughs> coach. Like, we haven't even weeks. started the regular season yet. Training camp isn't even open. This guy's already losing his job. Yeah, I I don't understand it, but it's it's gonna be like I think by the time we record our next episode, the fallout of this would have happened. It would have come and gone. But it'll be interesting to check back in and see if we're talking about my Bab- Mike Babcock coaching regular season games or him back in Saskatchewan watching the freaking National Geographic Channel like he said he used to like watching. Like it's, I. It just doesn't make sense to me because so it is confirmed that not confirmed um the all the things that we talked about the Franzen incident there's player testimonies saying that that happened yeah. the Mitch Marner incident there's yeah. player testimonies saying that happened the Mike Medano one objectively happened yeah. like you can see based on the number of games played you know there's there's a there's a very clear trend of the type of coach that he is um he ends up getting fired nobody wants to hire him so he has to go coach was it vanderbilt he had to coach in college like, i think he was like a coach of like saskatchewan Huskies okay so, or something. so something like that it got to the point where we were all pretty clear this guy was never going to coach in the yeah. nhl again why like why give mike babcock that job to begin with number one he has never been a great coach at developing young talent i mean most of the talent on the leafs that has panned out to the way it was today sheldon keith like M- mitch marner got those Selkie votes. Austin Matthews won the heart. That was all under Sheldon Keefe, they, yeah. right? Um, Nylander has blossomed into that 40-goal score under Sheldon Keefe. Mike Babcock has been known. Like when you think Mike Babcock, you think coach of a Stanley Cup team, even though he's only won one. You think coach of the Canadian National Gold Team, like yeah. big-time teams, right? Why bring him into a market that is full of young players with his history with Mitch Marner? It didn't make sense to me. And now the reason I bring that up is notwithstanding all that, He's here. How does Mike Mike Babcock smart enough to know, like, wow, I don't know how I got this opportunity. I'm finally back in the yeah. NHL. Like, why do that? Like, now why do this with these players? I just don't know if he has, like, the the self-awareness or ability to reflect. Like, maybe he still doesn't think he actually did anything wrong. And, like, maybe he's just like, oh, players are soft. Because, if that's true, that's sad. Well, like, he presumably wouldn't have operated this way if he learned from his past issues like the, i i mean like asking guys to look through their phones without like proper consent and a power dynamic is really bad but i don't it's awful it's bad but like the thing he did in the past are arguably worse they were all terrible yeah like so, so you're, i don't know you're i just don't i just maybe he had too much arrogance to think that he was really in the wrong maybe yeah. like that's what it seems like like people clearly. make mistakes absolutely but you don't make a similar mistake a week into your new job. Clearly not learning from his past. Yeah, like that's a problem. He's been out of the game for like three, four years at yeah. this point. Yeah, like, no, I don't, I don't I don't know what else to say. It's Yeah, I don't think there is much else to say. Overall, not a good not a great story. 
in one week. Sorry, we we film this podcast bi-weekly right now. Yeah. When we start the next episode, is he the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets? I doubt it. Yeah? I doubt it, too. I doubt it. I just think with every all the, like you said, all the PR around him, like, it's not probably not a good look for the Jackets to, to back him, even after potential evidence comes out that he was abusing a power dynamic and making young guys feel like crap and vulnerable and, and abusing that relationship. I think that's that's a fireable offense. So Undoubtedly a yeah. fireable offense, but, but we'll have to see. Again, um, nobody knows what has happened yet. Um, the source that we have received this from is from the Spitting Chicklets podcast. And yeah, Darren Dreger, those reputable talking about like yeah. how the investigation seems to be panning out. Yeah, so I at the end of the day, I'm not saying whether I think it happened or not. I don't know what happened, yeah, but if know. it comes out that he did this, he's gone. He's got to be fired. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's uh, move over. We talked about some Western Canada ca- new captains. We're going to go Central Canada and now like really smack dab in the middle in Winnipeg where Adam Lowry was <laughs> named the captain. Um, not like your typical captain. You know, we talked about captains most of the time. Now we're, you know, first-line centermen, first-line forwards in general, first-pairing defensemen, face of the franchise. And, like, with all due respect to Adam Lowry, he's he's not. He's, not. he's a mid, you know, middle six centerman, but... At best. At best. But I'll save kind of my thoughts on it for after yours, but I... Teaser, I actually kind of think this is appropriate. Really? Yeah. This just gives me vibes of, you know, his dad is on the bench. So they gave him the C in the, in I the GTHL. I think he's off the bench now, though. Yeah, but I mean. He was on, he was the coach. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. It was a year ago. Is he no longer like a bench coach or an assistant coach or anything? I can't remember, actually, to be honest. I can have a quick look while you just like, give your thoughts. I'll, I'll update you. Regardless, I, I started off this episode by saying these types of captains don't happen anymore. And you have to be a one of the better players in the league in order to be named captain. And then this happens. And, you know, I don't detract from the statement I made in the past. Be, sorry, earlier in this episode, because very widely now, every captain in the league is a top three player on their team. Um but this is obviously not the case with Adam Lowry. There are multiple better players on that team from a pure hockey standpoint. Um, but, you know, according to Cheval Dayoff, and we'll just update our, our listeners so that they can have a better understanding of the situation, is Cheval Dayoff said when they, re- when they released that Adam Lowry was the captain, they said, now the organization is being led by someone that was a true Winnipeg Jet from day one. Um, he bleeds blue, and you can see that on a nightly basis with how he plays. It's an important step and an exciting one I think Adam really embodies a lot of what the city of Winnipeg is all about. Hard work, honest, blue collar, and comes to work each and every day. What do you think about that? That sounds like the biggest word salad I've ever heard. <laughs> like he just threw out like classic hockey terms. Comes to work, blue collar, <laughs> grinds in the corners. It's like the most hockey interview or response ever. But like I said, I, I actually kind of think that that's an appropriate sort of step for the situation that the Jets find themselves in. Yeah, like, again, can a guy of that hockey caliber lead a team when he doesn't play much? Like, I think I saw I, I saw he had 18 points in 44 games last year with an average time on ice of just under 15 minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Come playoff time, those types of guys are playing 10 to 12 minutes. And, I mean, in the short run, yes, that guy is able to be a captain because how you play on the ice shouldn't affect the way that you interact in the locker room. But 
hockey players are humans. Like over the long run, three, four years later, there is an equal probability that he gets worse than what he gets better. That's true for any player. But mm-hmm. for a superstar player, if he gets worse instead of better, okay, now he's putting up 75 points. He's the third best player on the team. Like what happened with John Tavares, he's still good enough to command respect and credibility such that he can be a good leader. Because that, unfortunately, your credibility ha- does play a role on whether you're perceived as a leader by other people. If yeah. Adam Lowry regresses over the next three, four years and is worse than 18 points in 44 games with 14 minutes on ice and now puts up five points in 44 games and is on the on the fringe of being healthy scratched in the playoffs, how does that look in the dressing room? Like, at the end of the day, is a guy who's putting up 90, 95 points going to, you know, take criticism from this type of player who might be sitting in the press box? And again, it shouldn't matter, but it's going to play a role. Yeah. This organization has already had so much dysfunction lately. Why not just wait until you draft an unbelievable player who you know is going to be the best player on your team, and then you name him captain in five, six years? Like you said, so many teams are playing without a captain now, and teams that are this bad, like the Montreals, the Winnipeg's, like Winnipeg's going to be bad next year. I know they just made the playoffs. They're going to be bad next year. Um, like it, the, This wasn't the time to name a captain, and you should not have named a captain of that caliber, hockey-wise, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I think that's fair. I think the only, like, one of the reasons why I think this isn't a terrible sort of decision is because the top players on this team have proven time and again that they're not good leaders. True. And I think Adam Lowry's been around long enough. He has enough sort of of that. You know, he's like a 6'5 guy from Winnipeg, like, from Saskatchewan, Winnipeg. He's just, like, kind of that, like, prototypical hockey player in terms of the way he like looks and carries himself. That's kind of what Shovel Dev was saying. Um, like I'm sorry to make that word salad too now, but <laughs> but I think on a team where you had so many issues with Blake Wheeler causing problems, Mark Shifley constantly causing problems. Um, I'm surprised Josh Morrissey didn't get named captain because I don't think he's a problematic dude, but yeah. Maybe they were just like, no, we've had enough of these top players causing problems in the room. We're going to give to somebody who we think is a true leader, regardless of his performance on the ice. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they value sort of the you have to be good to be a captain less. Mm-hmm. I tend to err on your side of that discussion, but maybe Kevin Shivaldeov is just like, no, screw it. We're going to go opposite because clearly this other situation hasn't been working for us. Like they they couldn't wait to get their old captain Blake Wheeler out of town. So maybe they're just fed up with these stars. Um, causing drama, not back-checking, not playing defense, not giving a crap about anything other than their own box score. And they went sort of opposite to the trend because they're fed up. And I, I wouldn't blame them for that because it's been a... Like, we're we're, we're a PG show, so I'm not going to say, like, blank show, but it's been a blank. It's been a, been a crap show. I think you know people I mean? can fill in the blanks. People can yeah. interpret that. Yeah, it's it's been a disaster there. So I, th- I don't really hate it. Situationally, I, I didn't think about that. That's very true. I, I think... In an, in an organization where the, the guys who are supposed to lead are dysfunctional, yeah. maybe bringing a guy um, up who has been through the system is from Winnipeg is, is a good idea. Maybe in that situation it works. And maybe that's the reason why we very rarely see this and it only works in certain scenarios. Yeah. So who knows? Who yeah. knows? And I think the Jets are probably anticipating a little bit more dysfunctionality. Is that a word? Dysfunction. The, dysfunction. Ah. <laughs> a little bit of dysfunction with... The other top guys, like, I mean, Connor Hellebuck doesn't have a contract extension. Mark Shifley doesn't have a contract both extension. Be gone they can both be gone. Like, every time we start to talk about Mark Shifley, my blood slowly starts to boil. <laughs> because love I Mark cannot Shifley. stand him. <laughs> He's probably him and 
funnily enough, two two kind of Jets linked players, him and Dubois, my least favorite players <laughs> in the league. Um, like I'm sure it's a good dude, but my God, he pisses me off when he plays hockey. Like simple as, like I'm not gonna apologize for that. But the fact that he doesn't swear also upsets me. It shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, he's like you freaking frick, like. <laughs> Bro, like, <laughs> shut up! You're like 27. That's a, that's like, a pretty good. That's a pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you freaking pigeon! Like, <laughs> like just be quiet. Like, literally, tell your mouth or swear. Like, I don't get it. That's anyway, a good impression. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, like he, he seems like he has half his foot out the door. He hasn't signed there. Yeah, he's gone. Seem to be willing to keep him. Like, um, <laughs> I mean, I don't see. I don't see any benefit to keeping him past like. They need to. They, basically, they need to trade him at some point this season. Yeah. Because you risk then just losing him for nothing. And I get as a small market, it's ho- probably hard to walk away from guys who were willing at one point to commit to you. Yeah. Um, like Raptors fans feel that, in you know Toronto's a big market usually, but in basketball they're a small market. Chris Bosh left. All these guys leave, and then when you know it was hard to move away from a guy like DeRozan when we when we did. We lost DeRozan that time that we were a big market. Toronto's a big market now. Well, yeah, but it had been like when Bosch left and it like Estada, Milo's was guys very, left, very right? small. You're right. So it's, what I'm saying is, it's just it's hard for small markets to, as a management staff, probably walk away from those guys when yeah. they when they've committed to you previously. You don't know when those guys are going to show up again. But I just think by not trading him, you have to sign him and you have to overpay him to keep him there, and he's going to get worse. He's close to thirty. We know how dysfunctional he is already. That team will, in the long run, be way better off without him. Yeah, I just think they need to trade him or they risk just kind of screwing themselves over, to be honest. Yeah, and wingers who do not play two-way that get to 30 get worse every year. We've seen that yeah. with Huberto. We're going to see it with JT Miller. Mark Scheifele fits that bill. I, I agree. He he's got he's got to go um, because also this team is is going to rebuild pretty soon. Exactly. So why not? Why not? kickstart your rebuild with like a first rounder and maybe some mid-level prospect yeah. and losing him for free like you're gonna if the end result is him and Hellebuck both leaving even if the, if at the deadline you're getting what you consider pennies on the dollar and you're on the outside of the playoff race looking in you have to cut bait and take what you can get because that second rounder let's say is better than nothing yeah i agree i think yeah i think that has to happen with the jets um before we like get to where I'm trying to get to with this whole conversation. We have to talk about another Canadian team that has some pending UFAs, soon to be pending UFAs, Elias Lindholm, um, Hannafin, and Calgary. Did you have anything to say before we get there? The only thing I want to say is we've talked about two guys that were just named captain. There's like six or seven teams that still don't have a captain. I really just wanted to get your opinion very quickly on who the next captains of these guys are, the, okay. the teams yeah, are. Yeah. And if you don't think one's coming soon, let me know how long it's going to be. So right. there, I think there's there's six teams. So Anaheim Ducks, who's their next captain? I mean, Trevor Ziegler doesn't have a contract, but like just based on his personality, I could just see them naming him captain. I think if he signs a long-term deal within a year or two, that C will be on his chest. You can go McTavish. You can go Leo Carlson. Yeah. There's a lot of options. Even Drysdale. like Troy Terry. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of I options. I think they'll name it him. He's like kind of, he has the personality of a superstar, and I think they'll appreciate that. I agree. I think Tre- Trevor Zegers was also my answer. Number two, Arizona Coyotes. I think this one's obvious. Holy smokes. Like, who the heck even plays there? Like, your I boy, your favorite player, fantasy god. Sean Dersey? No, not Sean Dersey. He's a, he's a, he's a, I think he's a center. He was in the Matthews oh, draft. Clayton Keller? I think Clayton yeah, Keller true. is the next yeah, one. True. I can't, yeah, I didn't think about him. He has to be. If he's willing to stick around, yes, okay. has to be him. Boston Bruins. 
Oof. Couple guys like, here. This are probably three guys you could pick from. I I feel like McAvoy just screams captain me. He's also younger. Um, Pasta has the big contract, so like it's between McAvoy and Pasta for me. But I'll I'll go McAvoy. I'm gonna go McAvoy <laughs> as well. When I think of a Boston Bruin, that like grittiness yeah. of McAvoy is what I think. A big body defenseman. Those guys are usually captains. Um, Calgary Flames. Oh man, probably Rasmus Anderson. Yeah, I think I I think his contract is up in a year or two. So assume that they can work something out with him, and he's he's gonna stick around for a little longer. I think he's been around there a long time like longer than you know obviously the cadres and the hubertos and the uyghurs the tanevs i think that's his team kind of so i think he fits the bill nice this one's probably easy we talked about it chicago blackhawks give bedard a year or two and a couple 85 point seasons and that'll be his i agree now you, you persuaded me i think in two years he's the captain yeah. this one could be hard and again you can say you don't know it's very far away philadelphia flyers oh yeah i actually have no clue like <laughs> I don't even know. There's who, nobody there. There's nobody there. I think they have to suck for a couple more years and then, you know, draft their crop of three to four cornerstone pieces before you're even thinking captain on that team. Okay, so undecided. Two more. Yeah. Seattle Kraken. This one's tough. A lot of good guys. This one is tough. They have, like, oh Vince God, Dunn, Shane Wright, Maddie Beniers. Maddie Beniers, that's what I was thinking of. Could be Beniers. It could even be somebody like, like somebody like a Yanni Gord or someone yeah. like a, I can't remember his name now, the Leafs. The Leafs Traded for him, and then he got taken. Jared McCann. Jared McCann. Like, he scored 40 last year. Yeah, he was good. I don't know. I think it's someone who's committed their long term, like a Vince Dunn. But I think I think they want Matty Beniers to be the captain. Think, yeah. like They're kind of waiting for him to take that next step. And if he does and then signs a big big ticket contract, the C will come along with it. Okay, okay, last one. St. Louis Blues. A lot of good guys here, too. Yeah. Um I'm thinking like Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo. I don't know if Colton Pareko will get it. Tori Col- Krug, no. Colton Pareko looks like a guy oh, that could get it. You but know who? I think Braden Shen will get it. That's a good one. That's I think true. he's been around for a long time. Yeah, and he's um, good. And he's good. He's like a, the second line center on that team. I, I think he's like one of the non-first liners that I think is worthy of a captaincy. Nice. I agree. I, I agreed with almost all of them. Philadelphia Flyers was the only one I couldn't think of. And I genuinely have no clue who it's going to be. Who knows? Yeah, I think they are. they're going to be in the mud for a little bit. I think it would have been Couturier if he didn't get hurt so much. True. Yeah, I forgot, forgot, forgot about him. Yeah. Um, him and Ryan Ellis are playing hockey from the yeah. press box these days. Yeah. Um, okay, let's quickly get back to um, Lindholm and the Flames and that whole situation. I mean, I think they're kind of in a tough, tough spot. Like he's a very good center in his early 30s, but do you want to pay him $9 million for eight years? Like I, I don't know. The problem is, like, normally I would say no because you don't want to build around guys in their early 30s, but they are built around guys in their early 30s. So, like, he lines up with what they've committed to already. Huberto, Kadri, Lindholm are all in the same age range. They could all have long-term contracts. Like, I don't know if you just, like, kind of lean into a problem that's already bad or do you try and cut bait and get younger? But I think they're leaning towards keeping him, but... Does he want to stay? I think there were kind of like conflicting reports because I remember last year it was like reported that him to Foley and Hannafin all wanted out. Yeah. Hannafin reported to like whatever skates are doing now and he was like, no, like I just want to give it some time, but I'm down to stay. I think Lindholm, I think it's just about money for him. If they're willing to meet his number, he'll stay. But I think that number's in the nines. It's a lot. Yeah. I I do think that like Craig Conroy, the new GM, 
it's kind of put himself in a hard place because he he said like I am not letting a good draw Kachuk happen again. Like either somebody's committing here or I'm trading them. So now if he's not committing, he has to trade him. Like you can't go back on your word this early on, can you? No, I, I yeah. Or else you lose all credibility in that organization. Yeah, like then then your word kinda doesn't mean anything. The guys are gonna be like this guy's gonna talk all the garbage and then when push comes to shove, I'm gonna get my way in a contract negotiation. So I think he either has to sign him and commit to paying thirty eight year old Hampus Lindholm sorry, uh, Elias Lindholm potentially nine million dollars or he's got to trade him and hope to you know retool on the fly which is a difficult thing to do very tough very few teams have been able to do that successfully yeah but where i wanted this conversation to go the whole time and it took us a while to get there is that there are two very good sentiment up for grabs and there's a very good hockey team with a pretty big hole at center in boston in the boston bruins yeah like they're not that, that's naturally where this conversation heads like they could, I could both see them being Boston Bruins for different reasons. Do you think like this is an avenue that the uh, Bruins should explore, or do you think the price would be too high for them? What I think is funny is that I tried to think of teams where Shifley and Lindholm could go, and I Boston Bruins are at the top of both yeah. of those lists. I mean, the Boston Bruins are still not a bad team. Like mm-hmm. If you take away the Boston Bruins and you go Team A has a 60-goal scorer, guy who put up 100 points pretty much, a Norris candidate, probably will win a Norris pretty soon, Vesna winner who's still going to be good yeah. in a, and a goalie tandem was arguably the best goalie tandem in the league. Um, you would probably say this team's a contender for a Stanley Cup. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. Um, the only issue is, is not even issue. I just said all of that and I didn't incorporate the fact that they also had a 52 time Selkie winner hmm. who used to play on that team. He's now retired. Um, what better player is there to replace Patrice Bergeron than Elias Lindholm? I think Elias Lindholm as him and Barkov have gotten the like Walmart Patrice Bergeron <laughs> tag over their career. Yeah. Like Elias Lindholm is one of the best two-way centermen in the NHL. And I'm not last year, the year before that, he put up, I think, 40, 45 yeah, goals. He's been nominated for Selkie. Right. So when you have a team with the Boston Bruins who are already good enough as it is to probably be a wild card team, um, I'm pretty sure the Athletic also rated their farm system as the worst farm system in the NHL. Like they have no yeah. draft picks left. They traded a million picks away for Bertuzzi and Orlov this year. No prospects whatsoever. You're now in a position where you're like, we have committed long-term to McAvoy, Pasternak, Allmark. Marchand still got years left. We have no choice because we can't suck. Because if we suck, we got guys on term that we don't want to get rid of. We also can't call up guys. The only option is we need to continue to go for it until Pasternak, McAvoy, and Marchand are wearing the Bruin. Um, It's pretty much surprised me that they didn't make a move at the deadline. And, And I think if you're Don Sweeney now, you're going... I need to get someone. I also need to replace Patrice Bergeron because my one center is Pavel Zaka. Like, it doesn't make any more sense than to go get Elias Lindholm. It's literally the perfect fit. Um, and then if you can't yeah. get Elias Lindholm, you think, well, I need a centerman. I need a centerman who can score. Um, Mark Shifley, like we said, is going to get worse. He's not going to get better anymore. But this team has another four or five-year window. He'll be great in three of those five years. And although he's bad defensively, we say this all the time, People who put on the Boston Bruin uniform turn into elite two-way players. Yep, yep. Pretty sure he'll become an average player when he's on that team. I'm pretty sure he'll go back to scoring 35, 40 goals. I think both guys on this team would be great. Oh, Ideally, yeah. you would move Shifley to the wing and you'd play Lindholm in center. Oh, I mean, if they had the assets to get both, I don't. If you can only pick one of them to go there, would you? Lindholm. Lindholm? Yeah, yeah, it's not close. He just fits that team perfectly. He, does. he just feels he does. like a Boston Bruin in his demeanor. And, and they have the other Lindholm already. Yeah, and his style of play. I mean, Elias. 
if not gambling advice, if there was a bet where I could take, where I could say one of these two guys is going to be a Bruin, guarantee you by the end of the year, by the deadline, one of these guys is a Bruin. Yeah, I agree. I would just, I would prefer to not see either of them on the Bruins. Well, obviously, because the Bruins are going to win the division this year somehow. (laughs) (laughs) If I I consider my dislike for Mark Scheifele already, imagine him with a Bruins jersey on. Winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I would be... I'll be riled up, to say the <laughs> least. I would be unimpressed. Is there any other team you could see either of them going to? I don't want to put you on the spot because it's difficult, but... I'm trying to think. Like It would have to be a team who is close and is a centerman away from you know taking that next step. I'm just trying to think. Like the, All the other teams who are like reasonably good are pretty solid up the middle. Like I would, If the Wild had cap space, I would say the Wild, but they don't have cap space. Honestly, the... the the blues I, I, maybe no blues are good i agree with what you're saying and the team that comes to mind are the hurricanes do they have a second line center oh true yeah do they Lindholm was there once upon a time he was yeah i mean and they're oh, so it's good a great show they're so good defensively too shifley would look well in that uniform and that's yeah, another shield him there. that's another organization where you just start playing well under yeah. brendamore they've always been a that's game a away one. from winning an eastern conference final i mean and they've always got assets to trade yeah, I wonder if they have enough cap space. They would make it work. They'd make. They always find a way to make it work. That's a great way. I'd be frightened of them if they ended up getting either of those two. Yeah, they're already the best team in the Metropolitan. Like yeah. I, I know the Devils are unbelievable, but Carolina Hurricanes are winning the division. They're this year. like the they're the there. team we overlook because they're that good every yeah. time. They're that's a great one. We'll see. I could see them being either of those two teams actually, like the the Bruins or yeah the Canes. I think the Bruins are somehow without with Pavel Zaka and Charlie Cole as their one-two center. They have like four hundred thousand dollars in cap space. <laughs> they're they're in a pretty tight situation. So like maybe if the Canes have a little more wiggle room, they can make it work. Maybe yeah. Um, but let's kind of wrap up. We have been talking for an hour and twelve minutes, and we haven't talked about the Leafs yet. Yeah, That's probably a record for us. Let's keep it rolling. We don't want to talk about the Leafs. No, let's keep talking. That's okay. Good. Let's keep going. Leafs. Um, really the only news to come out of the Leafs recently is that um, Keefe has got a two-year contract extension, so he's around for this and then two more years, so three years of Keefe they've committed to. I mean, I'm not really shocked by this at all. Did I just come up with a name for our episode? What is it? Keefe to the city. Keefe to the city. How's that one? Okay. If we don't end up choosing that one, we'll just you, we'll cut you, this part <laughs> out. <laughs> you, you just, like, if you can imagine... The w- gears and Angelus had <laughs> churning as he came up with that. You name. could cook a hot dog on my brain yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was ideation in action. That's the that's the Keith birth the of city. I think we special. have to do it now. That's good. Okay, but anyway, um, Keith gets the keys to the city. Keith like to the it? city. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was well reported that after Trey Living and Keith met, when Trey Living got the job, they were kind of ended up being on the same page, and that they didn't want him going into the contract, going into the season with one year left on his contract that, you know, creates storylines that could create, you know, scapegoat situations. So I think the fact that they just tacked on two years to his deal is just sort of like a security measure and like, you know, dampens some, some rumors and some gossip that we'd love to spread in Toronto. So I think that's like a pretty reasonable thing, but you know, do you think that Keith has warranted three more years in Toronto or do you think his playoff performances have suggested maybe it's time to move on and Trey living is just, Maybe not making the bold decision that he needed to make. Like, this is tough because if the regular season was all that mattered, and if that's the case, the Leafs would be the most historic franchise in history. Yeah. Um, it's not. But if the regular season was all that mattered, Keefe is, like, 
already in ridiculous company in yeah. the NHL. He has 166 wins. That's the most successful startup coach number of wins in the league, in league history, mm-hmm. with a 622 winning percentage of a minimum of 250 games. So from a guy who has just gotten the job, he has the highest winning percentage of all time. And you could argue that on one hand, oh, look at the team he was given. But the, the people making that argument are the same people saying this team stinks. So you can't, yeah, right? you can't have it both ways. Regardless, like he's doing his job correctly. Um, and what's crazy is that if he wins the uh, the, the night opener in October, um, he would officially be in the top 100 for um, all-time victories for coaches since like the in 1900s. NHL history? Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. Like he's... Wow. And what's funny is that by the end of this season, he'll be ahead of the guy he replaced, Mike Babcock. It's funny. So, like, it, it's crazy. 166, 71, and 30 in his record as a coach and with the Maple Leafs, he ever coached one team. Like, he's almost had Babcock's number of wins in his career, like, according to the source, which I assume is true. It's, mm-hmm. like, That's, I mean... These numbers seem so crazy. They seem like they're not real. Yeah, the regular season records, it speaks for itself, but... You know, we talked a lot about Babcock getting out coached by Cassidy those two seasons, which he undoubtedly did. But like when you come to think about it, he's been around for some pretty tough playoff losses. He was around for Columbus in the bubble, three one to the Habs, Ugh. that seven game went to the Lightning, and no. then this this like base this sweep to the to the Panthers. Like those are three of those four losses are, are ugly. Like yeah, and what's sad about that too is that I don't know how a coach makes it past three first round losses against three sorry we'll call it two two really bad teams yeah. and the other one we were favored to win it at the start of the of yep. the series and like what sucks is that he did finally get that win they got outplayed in that series yeah they did and overall this season was seen as so much of a failure because they got swept yeah no one even remembers we got around <laughs> nobody no. cares about that round <laughs> and, it's funny how that they works sh- they shouldn't though yeah like the fact that the bar in Toronto was winning a round has been a joke for a very long time. Like yeah. this team is good enough to be a conference finals team. Oh, we yeah. said this last year that it was a disappointment that they didn't get to the conference finals. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense why he has had now what five unsuccessful seasons as a coach. Playoff wise. Yeah. The only call thing them unsuccessful. The only thing keep giving him a job, I think is the fact that the coaches, the players really like him. Um, and the fact that he's been so good in the regular season. And I think that the Leafs, am I wrong? They've had a history of firing coaches before they finished their contracts. They oh, just, yeah. They, they were paying Babs until last month. Yeah. And uh, did Ron Wilson go the duration of his deal? Randy Carlisle. Like, Randy Carlisle did either. I, I just don't think they wanted to pay another guy. Yeah. Or, yeah fair or, enough. Yeah. So do I think he should be the coach? No. Hmm. Do I think that he should have been resigned? Yeah. It seems like an oxymoron to make those two statements, but. There's just no one better to give the job right now that I think you have to stick with him over a short period of time. Like who, who, who can you give the job to? Daryl Sutter, no. not after Trey no. Living hates him, right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Elaine Vignault, no Claude, Claude Julian, like who's left? They're all they're all done. Yeah, like, they're not effective coaches anymore. I don't know if you'd be and and you don't. I don't necessarily know if this team is in a position to have a rookie head coach. Like I think they need somebody who yeah. has some experience. I'm not always a fan of like leaning on the experience trope but when you have a team that need, that is not really young anymore like they're they're in their all in their primes if not towards the back end and guys like Tavares I think you just need a guy who knows how to get the job done and Akif has at least shown that in the regular season at, at the very least you know they're gonna make the playoffs knock on wood but yeah I, I bet you if I coach this team they'd make the playoffs so like but and and again yeah, that's I know, not but I don't want to be one of those guys but this team's good like they're good enough to make the playoffs but 
he has not only made the playoffs with this team, he has shattered records with them. So obviously a lot of it is attributable to his skills as a coach. But man, like let's not forget, there were a lot of times where he was making some decisions where we were going out like... At least now Justin we can't Hall. put Justin Hall on the ice that's, and that's Alex Kerfoot on the ice That's what anymore. I mean. Like, remember, it got to a point where I think the only reason he took Justin Hall out of the lineup is because he was getting so much media scrutiny yeah. that they said, you got to take him out. That was crazy. Last year, that was an insane story. Right? He continued to play 11-7 and seven last year when seven games in, we realized this is terrible. Stop doing it. But, he, you know, there were some decisions where you go, I, I, don't, I don't understand. But if we keep switching coaches, is this core going to get wasted? Like you could mm. not have brought in a new coach. Like you just couldn't have. Yeah. Too much, probably too much like change for one off season. Yeah. Like this, this team lacks edge and grit under him. But the problem is, is you bring in a gritty coach. Babcock was a gritty coach, but he was too much of that. And the issue is, is, you know, it's very tough to find a coach who is able to find the balance between those two things. Cause there's five of them in the league. Yeah. And there was just no option, so they had to resign him. I said this again and again. When Bruce Cassidy was available for three minutes, they should have hopped on that train, and yeah, they didn't. So John Cooper's up in a year, is he not? Can <laughs> <laughs> you imagine? I but do so. Do you think that there's a, a potential now that Trey Living is giving Keith a very different set of complementary players? No Justin Hall, no Alex Kerfoot. He's giving you, um, you know. Domi and Klingberg, you're going to have Nyes, you're going to maybe have Robertson. Do you think a different set of supporting players and a different brand of supporting players, maybe Keith changes the way he coaches? How different is the brand, though? Because well, I would say that, like, yeah, I know we had Bunting and there was Simmons and there was Clifford. O'Reilly, but I, Shen. Like O'Reilly and Shen. Yeah, I think towards the end of last year, that was, like, a really good group of players. Um, but, like, Bertuzzi, Domi, Reeves, those are all guys who will muck it up, like, yeah, and I guess Ryan O'Reilly, we know the brand of hockey that he played. He wasn't especially physical when he yeah. was here. He also missed a lot because he had a broken thumb, was it? What he was broke it? His, yeah, his finger. So maybe, but I don't know. There's just some times where me and my buddies are talking about Keefe and we're going like, you know, we all know like the level of competency you need to be a coach in the National Hockey League. But when 30, 22-year-olds come to the same decision independently, you're going, how does he not see it? Like how is Justin yeah. Hall still playing? 20 minutes a night i i don't i don't have much to say we're this team's never winning a cup man i don't want to do How this do we again, get here <laughs> we get here every single time okay well let's get away from here <laughs> because you haven't even started the season yet and you're making me depressed okay we're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode man about town located in north york ontario man about town is ready to support you with all of your pre-game luxury wear Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabout Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. I think we're just going to, I think our goal was to kind of wrap up the episode with a few, I don't know, just kind of fun things that we'd like to do. Um, we operate bi-weekly. We can have a longer episode for the boys. We got a couple comments like I, I was showing you last yeah, night. Yeah, that's right. Just wanted to say thanks. Like a lot, of, uh, We got a couple. Um, we're starting to do these things on Spotify where you can post polls about how you like the episode. And we started doing it. And we actually got a lot of like heartwarming um, and inspiring, motivating comments about people were saying, um, we really like the podcast. Keep it up. You should do it more often. So thank you for that. Yeah. I expected to get a lot of troll comments saying that we suck. But, you know, we didn't. Do it for our community's supportive. <laughs> 
Not in the TikTok comments, they're not. Well, they're not part of the community. <laughs> but yeah, listen. so we'll keep it going. Okay, we did something similar to this after free agency, but now that we're like at the end of the offseason, we're about to start camp, maybe some of our answers have changed in terms of our overall winners and losers of the offseason. Um, uh, I have a couple, like I'm not going to say, like I, the one, I'll talk about one. I got a couple that I think also won, so maybe you give me yours first or I don't just say yours. Sure, I've got one winner and one, not loser, but some a team that I'm disappointed in. Okay. Don't. What do you want me to start with? Give me the winner. Okay. Um, I actually think the Sens walk away is a pretty oh. big winner of the off season. Oh. I okay. think I do. I do. I've kind of bought into it a little bit. They dealt with the Debrinket situation as best as they could. They didn't get a great deal, but they got a first and they got a solid roster player back in Kubali. Cool. He'll be on their third line. That's a useful player. They then went ahead and replaced Debrinket with Tarasenko. Granted, Tarasenko is not the player he used to be, and he's not Debrinket, but he's on a one-year prove-it deal, and I'm sure you'll get a motivated version of him, hopefully a healthy version. Um, and now they've officially sort of locked in what they would consider their core pieces to long-term contracts. I think that goes, you know, we talked about the Devils doing that, and, and the Sens have done their own version of it. They have um, Kachuk, Stutzla, Norris, Batherson, like uh, Sanderson, Shabbat, Chickens on two-year deal, but all those other guys are on multi-year deals. Like that's a really good core to build around, and you have sort of cost certainty with the cap going up. You can add players after that. And yes, they took a risk in net, but at least they had like the stones to go out and try and make a, a change in net. I don't love the contract. I don't know if Corpusal is super reliable, but like they're showing you know, some level of urgency to try and make a push. And I can respect that. Whether or not it works out or not is a different story. But I just think they've made good, solid moves overall throughout this offseason. I think they've they've taken a... They've made they made themselves better on paper, which is what you should be trying to do in the offseason. Yeah, they're just the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know they are. That's like the caveat that you have to throw out after that. But It is true. On face value, they did have a good offseason. Yeah. I think they've faced the adversity and they filled holes as best as they could, which with a... Uh, you know flat cap and being you know in a small market like they are they did the best that they could yeah who are some of your winners should we oh my gosh i can never do this properly move west on the qew oh baby are you talking about buffalo buffalo's south of ottawa but they're like you got to go west ish south how do you get to ottawa i've never driven to ottawa from toronto i think you think the 401 no yeah so oh it's so it's west on the 401 does a qew even go north and south does it get no goes east and west for yeah, sure, Hamilton's east, and west. Hamilton's yeah. east, right? Hamilton's west. West, and you take the QEW. Yeah. To get, okay, so fine. The QEW where, are you, where are you heading right now? I was going to say, like, th- one of my winners is the Leafs. Oh, I, okay. We talked about this. Okay. I won't talk about it too much. <laughs> um, I think the Penguins won too, but um, overall, my true winner, I think, are the New Jersey Devils. Like, yeah, I really do. Hard to not pick them. The team showed last year that like, they had what it took to win. I mean, they went down 0-2 in their own barn, went all the way into MSG, one of the hardest buildings to play mm-hmm. in, win both those games, and end up winning the series, I believe, on the road. Don't quote me on that. I believe on the road. They have the best top six in the Metropolitan Division, I think, depth-wise. And now they add scoring depth into Foley. That's the only oh, thing they struggled so with last underrated. year. And they sure up their future signings, too, with um, Brad and Meyer, both on long-term deals now, which I think is huge. I think that's a, a very, very big part of their offseason being a winner is they get those guys on bargain deals. Like, Meyer's a 40-goal scorer on 8.8. You know how good Jesper Brad is on your fantasy yep. team. I mean, he Beast. didn't sign for that much money. This team is a goalie away, I think, for being a cup favorite. And based off of 
um, the trades that they had to make for Meyer and for other players, they did not have to give up a lot of draft capital. I think they gave up what Sharon Govich for like, and they only, they, they got stuff in Sharon Govich and a third for yeah, Toffoli. Right. I mean, they, they didn't give up. The point is their farm system and their draft capital is still loaded. Yeah. They can go out and get Hellebuck with a lot of draft capital to spare yep. and be the best oh. team in the Metro. And I, I think overall they're a winner because not only did they add scoring depth and they ensured that their young guys are here to stay, they did it in a way that allows them to go all in for deadlines to come. And this team, mm-hmm. I think this team, I hate to say it, this team's winning a cup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sh- I wouldn't be shocked if that happened at all, that they had a... <laughs> Crazy offseason. Tom Fitzgerald is building something pretty special there. And I'm jealous. Yeah, it's it's crazy because for the longest time, the New Jersey Devils were like the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, like, pretty oh. relevant. And I mean, like after Broder. Yeah, and and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, they're great. Mm-hmm. So good, good for them. Okay, who's your loser? I feel like loser is harsh to this team because like I've been hyping them up. I'm just disappointed that Buffalo didn't do more. And so okay. I think they're losers because of that. Like they had such a good end to the season. They missed out on the playoffs by a single point. They win one more game they're in the playoffs. Like they got so close and the fact that they didn't build on what was a really really impressive last season is kind of just disappointing. If I was a fan of them, I'd be saying don't break the bank and go sign players for stupid money, but you could have gone and traded for Tyler Toffoli. Like, you could have maybe, like, find some other, like, Riley Smith for a third or Kyler Yamamoto for future considerations. Like, those would have been players who would have really helped them because past their first line and a half, they're pretty trash. Like, they don't really have, like... Third stray. Well, <laughs> yeah. Sorry to the Sabres depth forwards for that one. You're true. It's but, like, they, they, they were just missing some depth forward. Like, their top-line talent is incredible. Yep. Um, and so I'm just disappointed that they didn't go out and add to that forward group um, to really like take a step and keep up with what like the Sens have been doing. Um, there was the opportunity was there to make moves on some guys who were available for cheap and they didn't do it. So I think that that's disappointing and might come back to bite them in the butt later this season. I, I agree. This team is missing forward depth. There is still a guy out there who put up 90 points a couple seasons ago who is from Buffalo. He's not able to get a contract anywhere else. I don't know why he doesn't go back home. Interesting. Does he hate, like, what does he not like about Buffalo? He grew up there. The team, I think, with Patrick Kane is good enough to threaten a playoff spot. I think maybe what it is with Kane is, like, they're just, I think because he's still rehabbing from his double hip resurfacing or whatever crazy (laughs) surgery he got, I think. Like maybe teams are just waiting for him to be ready, and then you sign him. That way, he doesn't count to your cap like the same way. There may be cap implications, but are they worried Buffalo that Buffalo doesn't have a cap? Yeah, maybe they're worried that like he's not going to be as effective anymore. But if that's the case, go sign him on a try me two year deal, and if he sucks, you have cap space. Like yeah, they have go a lot out of cap space to burn. Go make a like a a, a franchise changing move. Like it's about time. It's, yeah, it's I guess like the I think they're just playing it cautiously. And it's probably better to save your cap space than to spend it willy-nilly when you think you're good. They're probably making the right decision, but I think they could have gotten better without committing the $8 million in cap space that they had left. Like, Toffoli makes four point something. Riley Smith makes, like, five or six. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't have had to break your bank to go get better. And they, they didn't. And that's why I'm disappointed in kind of their offseason. You don't think if they offered Patrick Kane a one-year deal at $8.5 he'd take it? Oh, my God. He's not. I wouldn't give him that. I... 
you you would now just because there's nobody left on the market and he fits the bill so perfectly. And the only downside to signing him is, is he's going to suck in three years, but it's a one-year deal. It's like a Taylor Hall type deal. Like in the position you're in now, can offer him seven. See I would you? offer him a one-year deal for sure. I don't even think you need to offer that much to get him though. That, so Go yeah. out and get him. I don't understand. I agree. Like, this I team seems so fit. averse to doing something huge. Like There'll be so much excitement around that team too if yeah. they do that. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe like by December when he's like fully rehabbed and people get tape of him training and they're like, okay, like Patrick King can actually skate. Maybe that maybe a team will be like willing to pay him. I don't know. Yeah. We saw a guy come back from bilateral hip surgery this year too. Marshawn. He yeah, looked pretty good. Like <laughs> he looks pretty damn good. You're right. Um, okay. So I think that some of your losers segues. Well, my, my loser, the Boston Bruins, I got okay. easily. I think this is the easiest one in my opinion. Yeah. You go out, you lose Hall, you lose Bertuzzi, you lose Orlov, you lose Bergeron. No Krejci. replacements to lose Krejci as well. Pavel Zaka, Charlie Coyle are now sitting at one and two on your centerman depth chart. The issue here is that this team is more than good enough to still contend for the division in the hardest division in the NHL. We talked about this before on the podcast. They have a Vesna candidate. They have a Vesna winner. They have a Norris candidate in, in Charlie McAvoy. They have a guy that scored 60 goals and probably should have won the heart. Very close to it. Almost put up 100 points. Brad Marchand is still a phenomenal player, and he's number one on the list, of, on everybody's list of guy I want on my team but don't want to play against, right? Mm-hmm. This team is more than good enough as they are now to threaten for a wild card spot. They lost all of these guys. We just even talked about it too. The Athletic says that their farm system and their draft capital is dead last in the NHL projected. This team is too good to suck. They're also not good enough to win right now, and they're committed all this money to all these big guys. Like All of these different aspects scream, go out and sign players while you're committed to the guys that I just named. And the fact that there are guys out there, um, this was a relatively busy free agency, and there were guys out there that could replace Patrice Bergeron. The fact that they didn't go out and make a single move blows my mind. Like after they lost Taylor Hall, you thought they're going all in on Bertuzzi. Presumably they lost Taylor Hall because they knew Bertuzzi was coming yeah. back. Bertuzzi sounds very much like a he um like his play style is a very much Boston Bruin play style. They then lose him. You think, okay, Don Sweeney scrambling is going to go out and make a move crickets like we haven't seen anything from them Elias Lindholm like we talked about Shifley are up for grabs the fact that they haven't gone out and made any moves really blows my mind because sitting as the way they are now going into next season like you talk about this all the time and it's true they're going to be in the worst position like they're going to be not good enough to get a pick and not sorry not bad enough to get a pick and not good enough to contend like what are you doing that there's no way Brad Marchand David Pasternak and Charlie McAvoy are okay with being mediocre. And I'm sure that in order to sign um, David Pasternak under the table, there was an agreement that this team would remain competitive. And in a very busy off season, Don Sweeney doing nothing makes me think, what is he going to do when there's not much at a deadline? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe he's relying on the fact that the Boston Bruins have that identity and they'll be good, but maybe their depth chart fell off a cliff this year and they didn't do anything to make it better. No, I agree. Yeah. Boston got worse, and they might still be good, which is very Boston of them. It's the story every year, but it makes yeah. me so happy to say that they're the biggest loser. But, you know, if <laughs> this is one of the times I'm happy that we're not a humongous podcast because in a year later when the Bruins are in the playoffs and they won the Atlantic, <laughs> this would get stitched. Only a few people have receipts. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. Um, next one, we're going to look into our going into the season, who we think the most overrated team is and who we think an underrated or overlooked team is. Let's do it. Okay. 
Should I start? Yeah, do it. Want me to start overrated or, or underrated? Give me overrated. Overrated. I mean, the Panthers. Yeah. Like, just because you make a cup final does, does not all of a sudden make them an elite regular season team. Like, they didn't do much in this offseason. They lost Duclair and they lost Gudis. Yes, I know Duclair was hurt for a long period of time last year. He was coming off, I think, an Achilles injury. But he's still a good player. They lost him for cap reasons. Gudis, they just couldn't afford to pay him what Anaheim decided to pay him. But they didn't really add anybody. Also, you know, Bobrovsky is still a mystery box. And Spencer Knight hasn't taken the step that we maybe have expected him to take at this point in his career. So they have no guarantees in there. So you don't have someone, you don't have, you know, you can't bet on someone winning you 10 out of 12 games in the home stretch of a regular season to sneak you into the playoffs. And then Paul Maurice is still behind the bench. Like, I know he coached them to a Stanley Cup final, but he his teams have historically been underwhelming regular season teams. Like I said, this team wouldn't have made the playoffs if it wasn't for Alex Lyon and if it wasn't for the Penguins puking on themselves in the last two games of the season to cough up their playoff spot that they had. Um, I think recency bias has... You know, Florida as an elite team, I just don't believe they are that. And I wouldn't be shocked if they missed the playoffs this year. But the Sens and the Sabres getting better, better and the Bruins still being the Bruins. Yeah, that, that that's true. And I know if, ands, or buts, I don't know what the saying is. You should probably yeah. know it because you know all these random sayings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my first straight. That's not even a straight. That's direct. Because there were some things that you said to me before the episode started that don't sit right with me. So now I'm coming back. <laughs> uh, regardless, it like... In high-probability scenarios, last year, the Pittsburgh Penguins needed to beat Chicago and or Columbus or something like that um, in order to make the playoffs. And even if they didn't, this, the Panthers just had to lose one of their last 10 games in order to make the playoffs. It didn't happen, so th- that should be the end of it. But in the event that the 99% probability scenario played out and the Panthers missed the playoffs— nobody's hit here saying the Panthers are making the playoffs next year. Yeah. No one's here saying the Panthers are third in the Atlantic. They're probably saying they're seventh, like sixth to eighth in the Atlantic. I, I agree. Like nothing screams overrated more than, than, than that. Yeah. Like would, is there anyone saying that they'd be a playoff team this year if they didn't make the playoffs last year? Probably not. No, like, no, like they're bad on paper. And yes, Matthew Kachuk was a hard nominee, but his real sort of step into, you know, superstar territory came after his playoff run. Yeah. They don't make the playoffs. No one's talking about Matthew Kachuk as a top five player in the league. That's very true. He's 100% a top five winger in the league, but people are talking about him as a top five player in the league because of that playoff run. They don't make the playoffs like they shouldn't have. That's not a story either. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they did couldn't have been better for them because now they have the best winger in the NHL probably or top top five for sure. I would say top two. Um, But, yeah, I'm... And let's not forget, Matthew Kachuk broke his sternum. Like he's perf- oh, he's perf- is he even going to be ready to go? No, he's perfectly healthy. Okay, now. but I, you know, I don't know what the recovery is for a broken sternum if you can ever get back to hundred percent. Like I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to conjecture on it. However, like he got to the point where he said it was difficult to breathe. His brother had to tie his <laughs> skates for him. Like there's just. I find it difficult <laughs> to believe he's back to a hundred percent. If you're sitting next to Matthew Kachuk in your locker room <laughs> and you see Brady stroll in and be like, "Okay, Matthew, put your skate on my lap. Is this is this tight enough?" 
like our dads used to do for us in health league. You're like, oh, guy, this guy's in trouble. You like, can't even laugh because yeah. then Kachuk will laugh and you'll break his throat yeah. even more. You just see, like, you just see the just splitting in half as I, you sit next to him. How are how is he allowed to play with a broken That's sternum? Insane. Apparently, he was like it was hurt to breathe. And and by the way, he was a point per game in the in the games he had a broken yeah. sternum. Like, how does he not take one hit? And yeah. wince, he must have. Alex Petrangelo with hacking, slashing everybody. Like, how do you even go up against that? Who knows? Who knows? But I, I, I agree. I knew you were going to pick the Panthers, so I didn't pick the Panthers okay. because that's the best answer. I'm sorry to hurt your dreams, but the Ottawa Senators are such oh, an easy answer. It's not my dreams. They're such an easy answer. Okay. Every year, this team is touted as the next up-and-coming team, and it never pans out. Last year, it was... The Ottawa Senators' top six are better than the Leafs' top six. This year, it's Austin Matthews signs, and all of a sudden, it's I would rather have Timothy Stutzla and Shabbat than Austin Matthews. Let's just be clear. If any single GM in the NHL was offered Austin Matthews for Timothy Stutzla and Shabbat, they're making that deal 100,000 out of 100,000 times. Like This team is being so overhyped, and let's not like get it twisted. Timothy Stutzla, Brady Kachuk, Jake Sanderson, Shikarin, Shabbat are all very, very good players. We talked about this earlier on in the episode. However, none of them are superstars. Stutzler can become a superstar this year. Let's just say he does become a superstar. You have a team with one superstar, four very good players, and a goalie who's, like like you said, has had a million injuries. Is this team good enough to win a Stanley Cup? The answer to that question is no. They would need Stutzler, Kachuk, and one of those three defensemen to become superstars for you to even have a chance to compete in the Atlantic and for you to even have a chance to, after you somehow win the Atlantic, you have to come out and face New Jersey, Carolina, or the Rangers who are all better than you. Somehow you win that. You got to go on and face Edmonton or Colorado. Like the argument is that they're just not good enough. And it's possible to, it's not mutually exclusive to say the Ottawa Senators are a playoff team now and that they're overrated because for some reason you go on Twitter Anything happens with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Ottawa Senators fans <laughs> come out of the depths they of got Twitter. The they come on. out of the depths of Twitter and they start going off about how their team's winning the Stanley Cup and how the Leafs suck. And, how, and like, let's not like again, let's not get it twisted. The Toronto Maple Leafs are the la- laughing stock of the league because we we embarrass ourselves. But at the same time, the Ottawa Senators suck and they're not <laughs> they're not winning a Stanley Cup. Oh and I'm so tired of going on Twitter and seeing all of these Ottawa Senators fan accounts trolling about. You know how their team's gonna win the cup, how they're better than the Leafs, how you would rather have Timothy Stutzler than Austin Matthews. Like I'm getting on my soapbox here is clearly triggering me. But didn't Mark Mathot say that he'd rather have Stutzler than Matthews? Mark Mathot loves to troll Leafs like, fans. Right? That's his job. Does anybody who makes those statements genuinely agree? Genuinely yeah, believe I'm sure that there's some Stut- of them that do. Like they genuinely believe Stutzler is better than a two-time Richard, sixty-goal scoring heart winner Austin Matthews. They shouldn't, but I'm sure there's somebody in Ottawa right now who believes it. I wonder what the line is on the Ottawa Senators to have more points than the Toronto Maple Leafs next year, plus 800 million donation. Probably donation. Yeah, I agree. Okay, That's most better rent. Very overrated team. I'm so excited for our TikTok thumbnails to be <laughs> Ottawa wins the off season next yeah. day. Ottawa's the most overrated team in the NHL. And you better post them back to back, and you better respond to a comment on one of them they're posting the other <laughs> people are gonna be like what the heck is going on in this show you post the ottawa senators being the biggest winners you wait for one of those troll ottawa senators fan pages to agree with us and then you 
expose them with a response <laughs> saying that they're the most overrated team. Okay, we can do that. That's what we're doing. We can do that. Yes. Okay. I need that. Um, underrated team. Oh, yeah. I forgot. we. Wow, yeah. I got a little bit uh, <laughs> emotional there. I forgot where I was. Okay, go. Um, I don't necessarily know if this team is underrated, but I think they're maybe being overlooked, and that's Calgary. Um, I expect them to bounce back. Yes, this team was very different two years ago, but they did win the division two years ago. Um, Gaudreau and Kachuk were there, so obviously their two best players have left, but I think they've replaced them well enough to be a playoff team. Last year they lost, I think it was like a record for the most overtime or shootout losses in one season yes. or the most one-goal one goal games. I think they hit the most posts in the NHL and it didn't help that um, Markstrom like, couldn't save a single puck when it counted. <laughs> Like, there were so many things that continued to go wrong for this team last season, and they were still in the wild card race. Like, if they just win a couple more shootouts, win a handful more overtime games, like, they're in the playoffs. And their best players were not the best versions of themselves by any means. Like, Huberto, Kadri, Uyghur, you name it, Markstrom all had down years, and they still almost got in. Yeah. If they're just 85% of their best versions, they're going to be in the playoffs. The Kraken are also not going to be a hundred point team next season. I will, I will guarantee you that right now. Yep. So with the Kraken taking a step back and just luck, hopefully being on their side a tad, I think they're back in the playoffs and I think they're they're going to be good again. Yeah, that, that's a good take. There's a lot of times when we go, um, you know, the, this team's road is so improbable. It's destiny in a good way, like the New York Giants last year. Mm -hmm. It was the opposite for Calgary. Like they were so bad, so unlucky. They were destined to be bad. Yeah. Like it. The, the p-value on that is zero. Like, it's ridiculous. and Yeah. yeah just, I, that's a good take. And for anyone who's going to sit here and rebuttal it with the fact that they lost to Foley, who was their goal-scoring leader. Didn't think about that. Let's not forget that you're probably not getting that from Toffoli next year. You're just not. Like, yeah. Toffoli isn't they're, a 40-goal scorer They're good year. enough without him, I think, still, to, to, do, to do damage. They're, they're good enough without what he's going to give you next yeah. year. Right? So, yeah, that, that's a good take. I think you think Calgary squeaks in next year? I do. I think they're a wild card team. I think they get in. Yeah, I agree. My underrated team is going to really hurt me to say, but I have to be unbiased. Like oh the, boy, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Ooh, yeah, it's like actually a really good. Yeah, point. Like people people have said they've they've been done for a while, but they keep making Stanley Cup Finals. And after losing in the first round, I think the consensus was that they were done. But like as Leaf fans, we can say they probably deserve to win that series. When we were up three one on them, we were sitting there thinking, "Wow, we should probably be down three one." That team. Like, plays extremely hard. And again, let's take away the Tampa Bay Lightning who've been quoted to becoming, like, aging players who are past their prime. Take that away. This team has a bona fide one center who can still get you 35 to 45 goals and 100 points a year in Stamkos. I think they still have the best winger in the NHL when he's healthy, and he is healthy in the playoffs. Surprise, surprise, every single year. <laughs> they have unbelievable forward depth that plays well two-way with Sorelli and Hagel, who's now their long-term they also have, I think, two of the top five defensemen in the Atlantic in Hedman and Sergachev. And then let's not forget, they have a another 1C in Braden Point who put up 50 goals last sure. year, almost put up 100 points, and who we argued that is probably the fifth to seventh best center in the NHL. And then we'll add the fact that they have arguably and without a doubt the third, first to third best goalie in the NHL, multiple-time Vesna winner, and who I think is the second or first best coach in the NHL. You put all of these things together and you're going, this team is a perennial cup contender and they're a contender next year, which they are. And 
they are a contender by the virtue of the fact that their history has shown that they've won and made a billion cup finals in a row. For some reason, people are counting them out this year. I think because they finally lost in the first round, people mm-hmm. think they're done. Kucherov and Stamkos have a lot of good years left. And this team, like, do you agree, is 100% a division team next year? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I expect them to win another first round. The only reason they were a first-round exit last year is because they had a terribly difficult matchup that went well for them every single year. This is the one year it didn't go well for them. Ironically, I think the year they beat Toronto, they shouldn't have. In the year they lost, they should have. Yeah. Um, regardless, I don't know why people aren't talking about this team enough. And yeah. they still have Tanner Janot. I forgot about That's that. That's right. I think it's just one of those, like, uh, we're bored of them being good and we want new blood. But as long as this core is together, they're, like, you're going to have to, like, push them out. Like, they're they're just so resilient. Yeah, I, I expect them to be winning the division, if not second. They probably won't be third. I think they'll be first or second in the division, and they'll be getting home ice again. Yeah, I'd probably take them to win the division. I, I, I'd take Toronto just because regular season, they're so yeah. good. But the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be a deep, playoff team next year and they had a longer offseason than they're used to yep. so like very true you know i think all those games add up and they have added up but you know i'm sure an extra roughly month of summer did a you know world of good for them and they, they've undoubtedly played the most hockey of any team over the last three years right oh my god yeah, yeah. they made three straight cup finals yeah so they've played more than colorado yeah so, yeah okay to wrap it up we're just gonna like each give one storyline or one thing that we're looking forward to um, for this season. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go. Okay, I'll start. I mean, this is e- this is the easiest one, I think. It's a gimme, but I'm going to say it. I'm excited to see what Bedard does. Yeah. Um, I mean, the expectations for this guy are so sky high that like anything short of a point of game seems like a disappointment, but that's obviously not fair. But that's just kind of the you know level of hype that he's got in. Like, I've seen people say that they wouldn't be shocked if he gets 30, 35 goals or if he gets 100 points or something. Like, crazy numbers. And I'm like, yes, he's an unreal player, but, like, can we expect this guy to be an 18-year-old who dominates like that against men for the first time? Like, the expectations on him are crazy. I'm just so excited to see him get started and to see how effective he is. Like, and, you know, I think rightfully so a lot of the time we crap on the NHL for not being able to market their stars well. I think they've done a good job in yeah. terms of setting up. He's going to Pittsburgh, then to Boston, and then Toronto, Montreal for his first four games. Like he's playing Crosby. Smart. Going into arguably, he's going to play Crosby. Then he's going to play arguably the biggest other American market in Boston, like at least Eastern market. Then he's going to come to the two biggest Canadian markets. He's a Canadian boy. Like I mean, those are the first can't those like can't miss first four games if you're a neutral, and especially if you're a fan of the of the Blackhawks. I didn't know they did that. That's definitely by design, yeah. but. What if he goes out and puts up zero points in five games because he's playing five of the best teams in the league? Then I think you probably cut him some slack because he's an 18-year-old, but I think the expectation is for him to just come out of the gates. Like His current over-under is set at 69.5 points. No, it's way more than that. I checked today. I thought it was at like I checked 89 Draft points. Kings. I checked DraftKings. It was 69.5. Maybe but I saw ESPN's projections. Maybe it was projections, but the, the line... like for betting at least mm. on DraftKings. I don't know. Maybe looking at an out-of-date number, but 69 and a half. Are you slamming the over on that? Or are you thinking, no, he's you know getting 70 points in your first season is not easy to do? I think 69 and a half is a phenomenal line. When I saw 89, I was like, that's a definite under I would hit. But 
69, I would probably stay away from it because I wouldn't be surprised if it goes both yeah. ways. Both numbers are like minus. It's like minus 110, I think, for over, or minus 110 for under, something like that. I can't remember, but... Yeah, I mean, even if if he gets the over, that's a really impressive rookie season. Wow, his his goal line at DraftKings is set at thirty point five. That's a tough one. Like thirty goals as a rookie. I know Crosby put up what like a hundred points or something as a rookie or something crazy like that. And McDavid was on track to be over a point a game, I think, before he got hurt. But I don't know. It's just it's just hard to believe that another another guy can do that. Like it's not saying Bedard's bad. It's just those expectations are otherworldly. Yeah, and also he's playing beside Nick Foligno. Like, yeah, he's, well, he's gonna be playing probably with Taylor Hall, I would imagine at least. But yeah, he's not playing with like G- he's not running a power play with Gino Malkin and Chris Letang and Jordan Stahl when he was a rookie. Yeah, so look at this: the ESPN is projections for Connor Bedard next year: thirty-three goals, fifty-seven assists, and ninety <laughs> points. Ninety points! Like, come on, that's un. If he does that, like the thing is, is though, like I can understand why they're doing it. He's we the our one video that went super viral yeah. on TikTok had a hundred and seventy thousand views. People took it completely out of context, but go back and listen to it because it was based purely out of stats. I said Connor Bedard is a better prospect than Connor McDavid and Sidney yeah. Crosby, which is true because if you looked at each of those players before you knew what they would pan out to be, Connor Bedard had the best stats. And and I'm not gonna I made this mistake once, it still pisses me off. The CHL. He has the CHL best CHL stats. Is like the overall. All three of them. Yeah, he has he the, the best junior hockey stats. And he was the best player out of all of them in the World Juniors as yep. well, which is the best. Um, best on best to that yeah, age. Best yeah. talent. Um, so if the guys that we are saying he is a better prospect then came out and put up a point a game, I understand why the projection is close to 90 points. The issue is, is that Crosby came onto a team with with Lemieux, right? He came. Lemieux was there that first season. Malkin yeah. was not there. Yeah, Malkin was drafted a year earlier, so, so they were all there. Was there. Like, it's different. I don't know who Connor McDavid played with, but I imagine it's Pavarine. not as. <laughs> and Nugent Hopkins was there. Taylor Hall was there too. So it's not as bad as the Chicago yeah. Blackhawks. So I, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Eberle was there. Yeah, they, they weren't a terrible offensive team. Yeah, no, you're right. They, both of those guys had more weapons than Bedard will have. He'll be passing to. Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno, and Corey Perry. Yeah, and Peter Morazic. And Peter Morazic. <laughs> Peter Morazic plays against you. Yeah. Like, imagine trying to put 90 points with him in that. Yeah. I mean, they're not related, but you know what I mean. You can be playing defense the whole game anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see him start and if he can live up to those crazy expectations. True. Admittedly, I forgot that we were doing this, but I have a, cu- <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple in my head. Can I say I'm excited to see where our podcast goes? <laughs> Sure. What it, is, is our is our podcast the Connor Bedard of podcasts? Like, are you expecting our, or over under the equivalent views? of ninety points in views? I'll take that. If I off the top of my head, I'm genuinely excited to see what the Norris race. This is the Norris okay. race is this year, and the reason is because for the longest time it has been Makar. If he stays healthy, is going to win for sure. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of good storylines with the Norris this year. Eric Carlson is coming off a resurgent. Mm year and he's my favorite defenseman of all time can he keep that up i genuinely hope so i also love the pittsburgh penguins so i'm excited to see that number two i've always been a fan of rasmus delene people like slandered his name a lot when he was drafted first overall didn't have a very good start in his rookie campaign all of a sudden last year stud number one d one of the best offensive defensemen in the league and can still play defense well then you have other guys too like Roman Yossi, who can still do damage. Charlie McAvoy, who can still do damage. Adam Fox, like all these guys. and So that's one thing I'm looking forward to. But I think the biggest one I'm looking forward to is to seeing what the Pittsburgh Penguins do. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that too. Pittsburgh Penguins were my team past the Leafs growing up because I started watching hockey when Crosby got drafted and any any 98, 96 to 98 will tell you Crosby's probably their favorite player mm-hmm. in the league. Um, and again, you're putting Crosby with my favorite defenseman of all time and Carlson, Gino Malkin, who's always a, a good personality and you know, and Dubis. I, and Dubis as well. That's true. I love the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'd be excited to see um, how they do. That's a good one. I'm excited for the Pens too. Yeah. Speaking of favorite teams, you know it was funny? Really quickly. I know we said we were going to end this episode eight times and we didn't. But um, one thing I, th- I thought was funny that now that I'm thinking of is I saw a TikTok where someone um, put together a five-team no-trade list if you, were in the, if you were in the league. Do you want to do that really quickly? Five teams that you would put on your no trade clause. Am I, like, what am I taking into account? Am I taking taxes Any, or just vibes? It's you. It's you. And tell me why. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, Winnipeg <laughs> is on there for sure. One. I mean, it's Winnipeg. Like, they don't have an international airport. <laughs> Do they actually not? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Number at one. least at one point they didn't. <laughs> Number um, <laughs> But yeah, probably Winnipeg. Just the weather's crazy. The town's nothing to scream about. Like, yeah. I'd say them. Um, I'd probably say like I don't know, like a Columbus or something. Like I'm picking. I'm picking on the small markets here, but that's Fair. what a no trade clause is for. Um, who else? Kind of irrelevant. Uh, I don't know if I'd pick any other Canadian teams. Like, I mean, I'm from Toronto, so I'm impartial oh, to Canada. You? But are like. All of the American players think have Canada on their no trade list. Who else? So who else do I not like? This is tough. It is because I'm putting you on the spot. Do you like the Seattle Kraken? Do you like the Arizona Coyotes? I, I think Seattle's a cool place to live. Okay, maybe Arizona will be the third team on that list. I'm trying to like think. I'm quickly pulling up the standings. Like, can let me just pick on some teams here. Um, this is tough. I mean, oh, I, like all these places seem cool to play in. Um, maybe like, ugh, ugh, God, who's like the most irrelevant California team? Maybe the Sharks. The Sharks for or Anaheim's pretty irrelevant. Yeah, but then you get to live in California. Yeah. Like, there's there's upside to that. Yeah. Where's a crappy place to like? They're all in decent places to live. Okay, I'm gonna keep thinking, and then I will give you like a concise list that we can actually clip. Because this has been dead air. No, not even to not to clip. I was just interested to know. I d- it wasn't for the purpose of a clip. It was just because it came to the top of my head, and I forgot that Is I it had grass to say Buffalo. <laughs> I have. I forgot that I had made a note about it, and I just came to it, so I thought I would ask you. Um, no, I think we can clip this. We can make some people upset. Yeah. Do you want me to give mine? Because I mean, yes. I, give I, yours if you have them loaded up. I have them loaded up. I. I didn't mean to ask you off the dot. No. I just saw. I need it. one more. I'll have it ready by the time you're so done. So my my um, five team no trade list. If I played in the NHL and at full disclosure, I was good enough to say these are where I'm not going. Number one, the Montreal Canadiens. I think that Ooh. speaks for itself. You know, I think on everybody's top five, the team that they dislike the most in the NHL is on there. Anybody from Toronto who's a Leafs fan, the Canadians are on that okay. list. And if you substitute it, it with the Boston Bruins. I wouldn't hate that take, but I'm not going to put both of them on there because low-key, 
playing in TD Gardens would be crazy. Yeah. Um, number two, the Florida Panthers. Mm. I want to play hockey where it's cold or else I wouldn't take it seriously. Honestly, that's just my opinion. I remember when um, I used to play hockey and we would go on team tournaments when it was super hot in the summer. It just didn't, you didn't feel as locked in and whatever. I was a kid, so it may have been different, but there's just something about going into a hockey rink at eight o'clock when it's snowing and you feel locked in to play hockey. Also, I think the coolest part about being a professional athlete is the privilege of playing in front of fans and entertaining people who like work all day to be excited to do this at night. And like, you can inspire kids um, to, to play hockey and to want to take it more seriously in Florida. You're not doing that because seven people come to the game. Like it's just, it's, it's different. So Florida's there on my second pick. Number three is Calgary. Um, I don't want to put Canadian teams on here. I've already put two again. It's just, it's, it's super far from home that, it is too cold, so that's kind of ironic. The market isn't phenomenal. Um, they have a hard time attracting free agents unless you really overpay for them, so the team's not going to be great unless they catch lightning in a bottle and a bunch of their draft picks are good, like Goudreau and Kachuk. Um, so that's probably my next one. Um, number four and five are pretty similar to you, so we'll keep it quick. Winnipeg Jets, I would not want to play in Winnipeg. Um, I'm pretty sure most... I'm pretty sure wasn't there like an NHL wide vote where like they, it was rated as the worst city to Everybody play in. Has got them on their no trade list. I mean, Winnipeg is number four, and then <laughs> number five is the Buffalo Sabers. So <laughs> okay. like they're a tough market um, to play in because they're perpetually abysmal. Like at, again, if you were born in from 1995 to 1999 and you were a diehard NHL fan, when you thought of a failing organization. The Sabres were the first thing that came to mind. And even now, they're the best that they've ever been in a very long time, and they're still not good enough to make the playoffs. As a as a future or like hypothetical future athlete, I want to win. Um, so Fair. don't want to wear a Sabres jersey. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, hard to argue with yeah. the rationale. My list is kind of similar. I mean, yeah, Winnipeg, for the reasons you stated, it's too cold. City's not, you know, nothing to cheer about. It's not ideal. And then I got Columbus. It's another small market. If Babcock's the coach, get me far away from there. <laughs> uh, um, Arizona, they play in a college drink. Oh, they just they tough. they're they're a mess. Yeah. I don't want to play for an organization that's a mess. Um, then I've got Buffalo. I mean, for reasons you stated, it's also again growing up. Buffalo was a huge rival of the Leafs, and plus again, Buffalo not the greatest of cities. Even though their fans are the some of the most passionate, I wouldn't necessarily want to live there. And then. You know, maybe I do pick like an Edmonton or something. Yeah. Again, just far away from home, super cold. If I'm not playing with Conrad David, well, why would I want to play there? <laughs> that was that was a little maybe more no, harsh than true. I wanted it's it to true. be. But apart from the history of that franchise, I mean, yeah. they they are associated with being a choking franchise, just like the Toronto Maple Leafs are. And the only reason why the Leafs aren't on my no trade list is because they're my favorite team. Yeah. But if I was from California the least would probably be on my no trade list. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah. So I think that takes us to the end of it. I, another yeah. reason Buffalo wouldn't be out would be on my no trade list is like the way they treat their superstar players that I have seen isn't mm. exactly the best. Like also I'm kind of biased. I really like Jack Eichel. I really like the Vegas golden Knights and it just hurt me to see a guy that battled injury, signed two long-term contracts there, played a lot, and was just too hurt and eventually wanted out because of no, they didn't get him any talent whatsoever. And then he was like, I don't, I don't know, casted as this villain. 
Mm-hmm. What happens when they suck for five years? I go play there and I want out too. Like, yeah. am I never gonna be allowed in Buffalo again? Never. No, I'm just dead. No breaking tables at the tailgates <laughs> for you. And we breaking. You're gonna be the table. <laughs> we breaking you. But the- <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> that was a long episode. Um, so a bit of a change for us. We had a lot to talk about. We kind of shot the breeze for a little bit too, which is fun. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with some preseason action to talk about some overreactions to make. Yep. Um, and it's exciting. October's right around the corner and actual hockey's coming. So we made it through another off season. And honestly, I think it was pretty good. Every year we yeah. say we have nothing to talk about. We end up having things to talk about. Last True. thing I'll say very quickly, I want to plug my Twitter because I tweet a lot <laughs> and I never get followers. <laughs> please, please follow him. Please. I feel like my tweets are of good substance. I work hard on them. And then I see 37 <laughs> views and a lost follower, and I just want to throw my phone in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Please follow him. If you're, if you're here at two hours and one minute, you must really like yeah, us. So and if you have Twitter, you just need to give him a follow. Angelo Ricci underscore. <laughs> Please do it. I'm not even going to plug our podcast Twitter. No, pod- we don't use it. I'm going to plug my own Twitter. And yeah, get me higher than Jay Fresh, man. That's it. That'll be fun. Road to 15K followers. Road, road to 52 followers. Okay, baby steps. <laughs> but yeah, other than we'll that. See you, in a, see you in a couple of weeks when yeah. Andrew will have 4,000 Russian bots <laughs> following his, his Twitter. <laughs> and he'll have the most followers ever. All for the price of six ninety nine. <laughs> Honestly, it's worth it. I'm going to have 8,000 followers and 12 views on every tweet. It'll be worth it. So thank you for that. All right, see you in a few weeks. Later. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review Podcast. We'll see you all next week.